What's up, Digital Creators? Welcome back to the Digital Creators Podcast. I'm here with Atlee. What's up, Atlee? What's going on? Hello. Atlee is a Brulu-based mixed medium artist, predominantly a sculptor. He works in recycled materials, blue tack, and anything else he can get his hands on. Ever fascinated by the human experience, his work attempts to capture both the childish and adult sides of life, two sides he believes everyone embodies to differing degrees, whether subconsciously or otherwise. Stylistically, his work is gritty in form, figure and texture, but is often juxtaposed by bright colours and cartoon-esque figures. He enjoys creating things that are both eye-catching and also provoke feelings of discomfort. How's that? Is that pretty good? That's pretty good, yeah. Yeah, man, I, I saw your stuff at um, All the Rage. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yes, was very impressed. Shout um, out to Shania Solomon for that one. That yeah. Like first, her first, like, art event. Hopefully, first of many. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I love that event, um, just the way she brought together so many, like, amazing creatives. and Yeah. Luke um, Hackett, who did yep. the promo for that. Mm-hmm. Absolute legend. He, him and his boys are a really good team. Um, they did really good promo for that, like a good interview sort of oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Did you, did you see those? The interview? Oh, yes, I did actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah those were sick. I, I vibe the, with those. Yeah, they got a few good people down, like Maya, um, like Kim Mintz and stuff. They're probably two of the biggest Perth like artists that are still kicking around a little bit. Um, but also like they gave a lot of platform for like artists that never shown work as well, mm-hmm. which I think is a good balance. Yep. In a group show, you want to have people that everybody knows and then people that nobody knows, and then they kind of you introducing a new audience to some people. Yeah, which is cool. She, it was a really good event though, good setup. Um, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think we were talking like before about how those sort of platforms can help give artists sort of confidence to like put their work out there. Like maybe they mm. have never done that before, and then yeah. Well, I, th- I think like everybody is creative like creative creativity is like a universal thing but like getting to a point where you go from just you know having random thoughts like making something um to then like showing people that you made something to then like um actually showing people that you made something and selling it like it takes like confidence um to go to each step sort of thing Mm -hmm. um and so doing things like hosting art events might be for a lot of people is the first chance to show off their art, you know, yeah. and then they're like, okay, people actually like this. Maybe I'll like try harder and like reinvest in my work. Um, I'll probably refine my craft a little bit. Yeah. And then I might start selling it. Like you need those little like moments of connection and validation, yeah. you know? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, a lot of artists maybe, yeah, they don't have confidence in their work, but when somebody or maybe the event puts like a little bit of a, gives them a little bit of a push, um, it kind of like, gives them confidence to like keep going with it and I think that's really important. Yeah, what's well also like just sp- even spending more time with it, you know? Like it goes from being, you can go from being a hobby to be like, there's something you do like once a month and be like, oh, like I'm going to spend once a week doing this and mm-hmm. then maybe after that show you're like, okay, some people want to buy my art, I'm actually going to work on it like three three times this week. Yeah. You know, and then before you know it, you're doing it like part-time, you have another job Yeah. and you're also making money from that. Like you need, it doesn't, you don't just go from having ideas in your basement to like, fully selling out work unless you're incredibly rich. Which, yeah. I mean, that does happen. But Yeah, and it kind of got me thinking because I had uh, Maya and Ryan on this podcast. And legends. Uh, True legends. Yeah, shout out uh, Maya and Ryan. And like before that, I was, I was kind of just filming these podcasts and 
Um, it was very difficult, but Ryan actually showed me this live streaming thing and like mm. because I had them on um, and they kind of gave a little bit of energy behind it, it gave me like a big push to like do more live streaming and just do more podcasts in general because they, they gave me a little bit of a push and that's kind of like what these events do or what like yeah. what happens when artists collaborate. It just... Yeah, well, it's what happens when like... And why I like hosting exhibitions is because it's not just like people get to see your work, but you get to show somebody your work and then when you see how they s- interpret it themselves or the things that they think from it, it might actually make you view your art differently. Yeah. You know, and then you might actually be like, oh, actually I see this in this and maybe I'm going to try to bring that out more in my next work. And it kind of like evolves your creative thinking around something, um, which is really powerful. I mean, even so there's like an economic theory called like agglomeration, like agglomeration economies, which is like when a group of like businesses are in like a small place, they share like a lot of benefits. So Mm. you get like knowledge spillovers, you get like labor, like labor sharing Mm. and like forward and backward linkages. And it's basically in in simple terms, it's like when you have related businesses working together, you just learn from each other, you know? And with art, it's just like when you have other artists around, you'd be like, oh, like actually maybe I can do this, you know? And it makes your creativity more in depth because you have more influences, yeah. you know, and creating opportunities to put your work out there to receive more influences and then to grow it mm. is always what makes art better, you yeah. know. No, 100%. I think uh, that's the importance of community, building community and uh, like encompassing collaboration within that community because like you were saying, like everybody benefits and also mm. like you can get different perspectives around your art and yeah. those perspectives uh, give you new ways of thinking about your art. Yeah. And it gives it a push and you yeah, you can create in new ways. Yeah. I mean, like, I think the best artists are the ones that have the most diverse spectrum of perspectives or, are like, emotionally intelligent enough to, like, see other perspectives. Because if you're going to grow as an artist, you want, you want to be able to be emotionally intelligent enough where you can think about your art and be like, actually, like what am I doing here? Why am I doing it? And then to be able to like grow off that, like those are the artists that evolve over time are the ones that like have so many perspectives. They can see their own perspective and understand alternative yep. perspective. That makes sense. Totally, um, totally agree. I'd like, yeah, it's an interesting thing, but that's why like Australia, I think has the potential to be such an amazing art scene. It's because we have like such like a multicultural yep. background, you know, yep. or predominantly like Western culture country right now. But like we have so many like Southeast Asian, you know, like Indian, um, obviously indigenous, like influences. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. when you have the, the mo- like the cultural merging of all those things, um, like the, if hopefully what comes out the other side will be like incredible and incredibly yep. unique, you know? 100%. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, I think even from, from my perspective, I, I like traveled a lot as a kid and like travel, mm. traveling to these different places, like w- when you travel, you see the world through the eyes of these different cultures and that sort of thing. And it yeah, mm. just helps your perspective um, in general. And I, I do want to see um, sort of every form of art here embrace that uh, multicultural perspective. Because, like, um, yeah, we've got so many amazing cultures here mm. in Perth. And I think, yeah, we should, like, create around that. Yeah. No, it's cool. I mean, like, just touching on the travel thing. I was fortunate as well when I was a kid. Like, my parents spent most of their income, if they had it, on, like, giving us the opportunity to travel. 
um, because they knew it would give us experiences. Um, and I think un- being able to see the way that somebody else lives when you're very young gives you an understanding of like what is essential in life, what, what isn't. Yeah. And that's like the most powerful perspective thing you can ever get. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I had the same thing. And I think that helped me be like a decent artist these days is understanding that because it understands like what makes my culture that I exist in and what I do that might not be normal. Mm-hmm. It might, you know, what is a, like a luxury sort of thing. Um, yeah. yeah, and it's just traveling, you know, to other places. It does make me question like what is the culture here in Australia or Western Australia? Mm. Obviously we have, you know, the indigenous culture then also we have we live in a multicultural society. People from different places. It's growing. Here. I mean, like I wouldn't call Perth a multicultural place. We have elements like certain areas where multiculturalism really shines. But like as a whole country, like we have a long way to go. Um, mm. Like we're to, em- to embrace that. You mean because I think yeah, we do reckon, have yeah to, to embrace it for sure. Yeah, like people, like I don't think we embrace it enough. No. Uh, like I, I definitely agree, and I think people, a lot of people, more people our age, are actively embracing and celebrating it. So yeah. I'm looking forward to the next like ten, twenty years. I think it's going to be even better. Yeah. But um, you know, traditionally we haven't been as good as we could about no. celebrating it. Just talking to some other creators, um, there was there was a couple like for example Mario, um, who's from Portugal, and he he lived in London for a bit, mm. and he was telling me, and I I got this from a lot of people saying like. London's one of the places in the world that really embraces multiculturalism. Like, oh, yeah. And that's why their creative scene is, like, so good there. Same with, like, New York. You know, like, yeah, New York even as LA well. is yep. the same, man. It's, like, when a place becomes, like, you know, like, you go to a small town in Australia and you'd be like, damn, you guys are all six-generation Australians. Mm. If I have darker skin, you're going to have beef with me. Mm. And, like, how, you know, like, how many barriers they put up to outside influences and how that kind of puts something in a time capsule where it's like when you have places where they like celebrate their multiculturalism and like the you know incoming and outcoming of people as part of their culture yep. the culture just gets so much richer you know mm-hmm. like food gets better yeah, like for more sure, fusion for food sure. you know like art gets more creative like it just gets wilder yep. and you know it it can be chaotic which is why i think people get afraid of those things but when you can communicate at a high level and like understand people that have a different background with you because you try to try to communicate you know, then it, it can really work out. But it is hard. But I think as a country, Australians are getting better communicators, yeah. which we have not always been, Yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, uh, it, it's cool. Yeah, I think uh, just, yeah, chatting to Mario as well, he was saying, and I agree with him, we, we do embrace a lot of Asian cultures here. We have a lot of Asian restaurants mm. um, and that sort of thing. But he was saying we we don't have, like, there's not a lot of like African restaurants, for example, or yeah. stuff from other places. So I think we're we're getting there, but yeah, we haven't completely embraced all cultures. And I also think that might be because I don't think a lot of Australians, from my perspective, like travel as much as you or I, because mm. I think because we have travelled, we can we're like open to different perspectives, we're open to different cultures. Yeah. But I think uh, I just think people should travel more especially in perth i mean it's such a amazing place to live so Mm. we're like oh why why travel i mean yeah i mean it definitely is partially because it's like perth is so safe but i mean i don't want to get too much into it it's a very can become a very touchy subject but it is expensive to travel like it costs me it would cost us just as much to fly to melbourne 
as it might cost to like go to like Korea or something right now. I actually know that's true. Mm. That's nuts. Like Australia's a big place, so like it actually costs a lot of, of costs us a lot to like leave, um, which has an effect, you know, rather than a place where it's like surrounded by other cultures. Um, Have you been to Melbourne much? Or? A little bit. Yeah, only a couple of times. I mean, I was born in Sydney. Oh, okay. You, you can't tell people that. Oh. <laughs> I was born next to Bondi. Like, it's literally the Claremont of like Australia. Yeah. In Sydney. Yeah. So so fucking expensive. Yeah. It's not a vibe. Um, how is the scene in like? Because I think just from what I've seen, Melbourne seems to be embracing that the multiculturalism mm. a lot. I don't know about Sydney, but I'm not. I, I can't speak about Sydney either. But I think I think that's true. It's. I think it's because you have so many people that are going to Melbourne. You know, like people that want to be something or do something. Mm. Like the amount of amazing Perth creatives that I've known in the last five years that have moved to Melbourne mm. is absurd. Like you see somebody's face long enough for a year here, you're like, you've got like you've got one more year and you're gone. Bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, like yeah. I, you can't blame them, you know, because you want to meet more people. Mm. And like we talk about ex- we talk about experiences in art before, and um, obviously because the way Perth's so isolated. You know, not a lot, not a lot of people coming in or out. Um, it can be quite a limited range of experiences you get here. The experiences you get here are great. Yeah. You know, but like, if I really wanted to go meet some crazy people that are doing art, I would, I would probably move to Melbourne too. Yeah. As a, like, yeah. maybe it's like yeah. a stepping stone. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, one of the reasons why I do ape ape shit is because I want to like help artists meet other artists to kind of create that community so they can feel like something's yep. going on here. You know, because something could be going on here. Perth's a big place. You know, it's got a lot of potential. It has great potential, man. Like, I mean, it, uh, something I like to think about is that, like, the reason why I do so much art in Perth is because there's nothing else to do here. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like that, you know. But there is, like, a lot of amazing artists here. I mean, we've had, like, Tame Impala came from Perth. You know, like, Spacey Jane are amazing. Um, Troy Savon. Troy Savon. I mean, those are, like, music artists. Who's um, who's the ginger guy that was at UWA who's a comedian? Um Oh, no. Ed Sheeran. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't remember his name. Well, we could we could look him up. I'll find him later. But there are like a lot of really amazing thinkers, creative thinkers that come out of Perth, you know, and that's not a coincidence. Like we have a lot of cool culture here. The problem is that people, Bail. that are, that are, yeah, they are not bailing. Like you couldn't blame them. But like, I guess if you get to a certain level as well, then maybe. Say you're a music artist, they want to book you here and book you here, and it's just like it's more effective to live in LA or yeah, where, wherever the money is. That makes sense, hundred mm, percent. Um, yeah, but from my perspective, if I don't know, I feel like I'll probably live in Perth because I think it is one of the most amazing places to live. You know, it like oh, hands down, just. It's safe. It's like you know, Bro. a great place if you wanted to raise a family. It's like it's a beautiful place to raise a family. And like, if you have travelled, you can really see like how amazing Perth is as a that, place to live. That's what I was going to say. Is that like people that haven't left Perth? Um, don't know. I how mean, good I would leave Perth, but yeah, they don't know how good it is. Like, I have a mate, like a thirty-year-old Swedish guy, who moved over here and with his kids, like fleeing his wife. It's a crazy story. It's a good story. Yeah. But um. He it's just like people here don't like understand it. you can drive out like an hour out of Perth and you're just in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Beautiful scenery, like you can do whatever you want. Like that is literally luxury, you know? And there's a big sense when people when people when you grow up here, it's like, damn, I wanna go like I wanna go somewhere nice. Yeah. It's like, bro, we already have some of the we already have yeah. the best beaches in the world. You know, you can drive up north and see like yeah. some of the most unique landscape, you know, like the Pilbara, like Ratha, like down south is so different, like it it's insane. 
Um, but it's hard to see that without perspective, right? Yep. You, like, you can't, you need to go somewhere else to be like, okay, I can appreciate what I have. Like, I know I want to leave between the age of like 25 and 35, but only because I, I want to come back. You know, and then raise a family and yeah. enjoy like the slower mm-hmm. pace. Yeah. Of life. No, for sure. I think uh, as well. I would live in another city, you know, for you know a few years. Yeah. But I think I would probably e- always end up back and back Perth. here. Perth is. I think that's the cool is that people go there and come. I think that's one of the reasons why Perth art is so good, is because you have so many people that like go out and travel the world and then come back because yeah. it is so nice. Yeah. But you just don't get all the experiences here that you need. Yeah. The thing is, I think because. Um, I don't really have that perspective of I wanting to leave and, you know, go to Melbourne or whatever too much because I know I'm going to come back. I'm like, mm. why don't I just work on it here, cultivate it here? Yeah. And then um, you're, it's like you're creating something new here that mm. hasn't happened and, like, you can be that foundation yeah. of the creative scene and cultivate that here rather than leaving and you're taking your, like, creative skills over there mm. and they already have that there, like... Yeah, you can. Yeah, it's just there's so much potential here because not many of people are, you know, cultivating yeah. the culture. I think. Look, you touched on what I think needs to happen. You know, is it like enough things need to change where people feel like they can do what they want to do here, and that could happen. Uh, it'll be. It, it's gonna be what, hard. What do people want to do? Well, they want to yeah. be success. They want to be successful. They want to make money from art. You know, they want to meet creative people, and they mm. want to have like a broad range of experiences, and it's hard to get that here. Perth feels like... Like, do you mean they want to be, like, celebrities or... Not necessarily, but it's, like, you need to be able to have, like, generate, like, a certain amount of audience, you know, to, like, I, I to make like enough money. Yeah, I, I want to ask you, like, so why do you think artists move to Melbourne? Like, if you're going to give, like, a few points. I mean, it depends on the artist. I reckon the biggest one is, like, connections. You're, like, I want to I blow up. I'm going to try to move to, like where all the big companies and advertising and stuff is in Melbourne. Because there are, there are more of them there. You know, I did some advertising work for a bit. And, like, most of those companies are in Melbourne and Sydney, yep. obviously. You know, so there are the, – the industry here is tiny. There are, like, 11, 15 companies or something. Yep. There's, like, a couple hundred people that work there. Where over there would be, like, thousands. A lot more money going through it, you know. So the opportunities are very different. Um, but it's also, like, there are different people, you know. I think there are a lot more forward-thinking pe- – it can feel like there's a lot more forward people forward-thinking people maybe in Melbourne than here. Um, but it's also like, I think as a creative, a lot of people just have like a yearning for something else, yep. you know? And so yeah, p- part of it's probably that, the or the allure of greener creative pastures maybe. I totally understand that perspective. But what do you think? At the same time, I think that could be like an old mentality because i mean we live in the time of the internet we live in the mm. time where like you can build a following you don't necessarily have to be like surrounded by yeah. other creative people like you there are people who have millions of followers on different social media apps like tiktok for example yeah well so i am not disagreeing with you i i, I fully agree with you yep. but what i said is what why i think people do leave yeah no I, I i think yeah. i think that's true but, and i think it's changing you're right i think but more i people think now yeah. are realizing that they can like have audience but I, I feel like you can have that here you can ha- you can build the audience here yeah you can connect with different brands um like overseas and have them like i think people are just realizing only starting to realize that more mm. so i think yep. you're a hundred percent right i think there are just people over there that think they need to move to get that yep. still you know but i, I think in terms of the cr- that creative lifestyle that everyone's going for which is like have cool creative friends and like go to like cool creative events that there is much more of that 
overseas, say in Melbourne. Mm. However, you can have that here. It's like smaller and you kind of, it's a smaller community. Mm. But if you like put in a bit of work and like you sort of make a little bit of a name itself or you put some work out there, I think it's easy to have that sort of creative lifestyle that people are searching for here. But it's just more difficult. It's just, yeah, it's just not as big. I mean, I think it's growing. I mean, it's, it's literally one of the reasons why like, I like doing Ape is because it's providing like another, you know, like another group or like kind of event that you can put art through and start putting a name out because that's what people want to do. And I, I 100% agree. I think it's here, but like we may, we're still kind of finding the foundations of like a long, like long running events and things that people can engage with and that build a community off. Like things happen here and then they, they seem to fade. Yeah. You know, for sure. Actually, let's talk about ape or ape shit. Sure. Um, so, what is it, and how did it start, and like, where do you want to take it? Um, so, ape shit stands for Artist Initiative Perth shit. Um, so that was like, uh, so that started because I did during COVID, I did uh, a group exhibition in like my apartment um, called Arg. Um, so that was just like. Landlords refused to clean it And I was just like You know what Fuck these guys I ripped up all my carpet And I was like I'm just going to host an exhibition It was great um, And then I realised How much How fun that was And I was like Okay It was fun Dude, It was that easy That sounds fucking sick It was great um, It was a really good event actually Like just packed into my house Like A, a lot of people um, And like everybody Had like a different room So we had like Do you know Alex Fredrickson You might, you might know he's one, of, the name, he's one of Spooks mates Um but he like he. That had sounds the, like such a sick concept, and I've heard of a few other people doing stuff like mm. that. They're just very like uh, raw, like. I mean, yeah, that's the that's, whole point. So it sick. was fun, and so that's why the the name kind of suited that. It was just screaming, but yeah, Alex had like the whole bathroom set up, like we drilled into the walls. You know, like he had stuff in the shower. There was stuff in the living room. There was stuff. There were two bedrooms, so there was stuff in my bedroom. Just like. Moved everything totally. out, stuff in all the bedrooms. It was cool. And it was so absurd because it was in, like, a, um, an apartment space. It was a really good event. Um, and then that transitioned into, like, okay, I want to do this again. But I did when I did that, so I had, like, a lot of art mates. My closest mates that I do art with actually weren't involved in that. Yeah. Oh, that's somewhere, actually. But it was more just, like, people, like, loosening around. I was like, okay, I want to do some of these with some of, like, uh, like my best mate, Ed Atchison. Um, him and I, I, we worked together a lot, kind of, in a non, like, uh, non-exposed sense. So we, like, work a lot together in the background. Um, and I was like, okay, like, I actually want to do an exhibition with you. And then we got, like, a different lineup going. Um, and we actually, like, rented out a proper venue. And then I was like, okay, I just at least want a brand here that I can carry on and be, like, a little bit more consistent. Yeah. Um, and that's where, like, Ape shit came from. So yeah. a girl named Hunter Smith came up with that name. Shout out. Cool. She's cool. She's in Melbourne. Um, but the whole point of this... Uh, and I kind of realized it in making it is it's like providing like another shape, another space for like shared art experiences, yep. you know, to like to actually happen so that people can meet, you know, that people can like actually showcase their art. They can practice like hanging up their art. Um, they can learn from the artists around it. They can see it's just built. It's just like building communities, yep. I yep. think is the go. Um, and that takes a lot, a lot of different forms. So we've, I've moved now, the current event I'm planning with the Plastic Ego Girls, shout out to Beck and Aisha and Jordy and all that mob, um, is like, like a market. So it's a kind of like a step up from an exhibition. It's a market and exhibition. So, sorry, Ape Shit was more of an exhibition and then this is kind of like a, a collaboration um, with Plastic Ego, is it? 
Yeah, plastic ego. And they're like a magazine. So it's more, it's an exhibition slash market. Market primarily market. Um, okay. But it it follows the same kind of ethos where like I'm trying to provide a space where like a lot of artists can actually meet each other. Yep. And they can also like showcase their art to like a wider group of people yep. to kind of like build those like interactions between each other and help them grow their art or their businesses um, and to strengthen those. Yep. Um, and I, I find markets, I mean, I love markets, yep. but I find them even better because it's a lot easier for people to make money. Like if you look at, you know, like your giant oil, oil, can, oil paintings versus like like a clay pot, you know, yep. one of them is a lot easier to sell than the other yep. and it's not the giant oil painting. Yep. Um, and so providing a space where you can still sell high art and you can also, not, I wouldn't call them high art or low art, but in this case I will. Like one art is... One art is just has bigger and it's a bigger purchase, you yeah. know, and it's more expensive. But, like, providing a space where you can have both of those alongside each other, I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Rather than separating them. Because there are there's the same amount of creativity in both. Yeah. It's just that you might choose to make something smaller that's easy to sell because you actually just want to make money from it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I just wanted to provide a space where both of those things could happen at once. And also there aren't enough art markets that kind of hit our, you know, like, younger sort of generation. There are ones in Freo and stuff and there are, like, the... UWA ones, but then not really good. No, not unless you want to go to like the the crystal and her yeah, market, her, you know that's yeah. stuff. It's I mean, like markets that have real creators creating their own thing. Like I've seen the craves that are going to be at um Plastic Jungle. So sick. There's some like handmade bags. There's some, um, I think some ceramic stuff. Mm. Some guys that have been on this podcast like um tough with the rugs, custom rugs, and yeah. also Christian from Remore like makes his own like clothing and stuff it's like i've met christian yet but i'm I'm looking forward to meeting him um yeah no you mentioned uh nature i'm saying that right nature studios um who does like hand woven bags oh yeah i saw that that's so sick yeah i I want to get them on the podcast yeah she's cool um she is you know the right archive yeah mob. yeah she's like all involved with them um yeah they're all really cool so they're right right archive's actually going to be there as well actually i'm trying to think who else Man, there's there's a so lot. So I've got like fifty or so different vendors. Some pottery, some more like heart, like paintings. Yeah. Um, a lot of sketching, some zine stuff. I'm trying to get like a good spectrum in because yeah. I think that's more fun that way. And yeah, with this sure. event, um, so I think there are a lot of group art events in Perth, but they're usually like a person's group of friends. Yeah. And so yeah, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think with this, what I really tried to do was reach out to like people that I have no fucking yeah. idea who they yeah. are because I want to meet them and yeah. I want to like if we're trying to build communities, you need people that don't know each other to meet. 100%. And so I, ha- I really went out of my way. So I went through the Naval Store stuff. I went through like Frio communities and stuff to really try to like put it out to people that I might never, I probably never will yeah. would have talked to otherwise so that sure. they can all be in the same space and they can meet. And that's like a chance where people can actually, those community bonds continue to form. Yeah, 100%. I think there was, maybe there still is, but I'm seeing it dissolve a little bit like a very cliquey, thing in Perth with creatives like there's this like clicky group and then it's um I don't know harder for a community to happen because they don't want to go outside of the bubble or people on the outside don't feel comfortable like Mm. talking or communicating but I think with events like this and I'm trying to do with this podcast as well just like connect different creatives Mm. that not many people know um together to you know cultivate that community and even I've seen so many awesome creatives um say in all the rage but also for this the art market um, mm. that I want to talk to and I want to connect with. So that, yeah. that's what it's about, yeah. It's interesting that you talk about the clicky nature of Perth. I think that happens naturally. 
is there any who's in that clique? Um, not to call anybody out, but like, I would say it's just I don't know if it is Perth. It might be Perth because maybe we're a more isolated mm. community. I don't think it's one set cliquey group, mm. but I guess there's there's like kind of it feels like there's subcultures of little groups, mm. and then yeah, they kind of there's not this overarching um want to connect with different people and kind of welcome it like check out our scene like come and check this out and be a part of it that there does seem to be like little groups um maybe it's like a more social media like trendy group or it's more like Mm. over here and then they don't really connect with the more artsy group over here because maybe they're doing different things but what I'm trying to do with this podcast is show like we're all creators we all kind of have the same goals. So let's just yeah. connect and collaborate. That's yeah. what I feel. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, um, I mean, I think I definitely see clicks too. I think, I mean like fashion something where like, there's always like another, you need another for, to be fashionable. Cause you're like, I know I'm fashionable cause I'm not wearing what you're wearing yep. sort of thing. And so I think that happens quite naturally in art because you need to have somebody else to view who you, like to have an identity yep. of yourself. Um, but I also think like a lot of the, what I've kind of experienced with Perth art is that like there are what you think are cliques that are kind of like you see them next to each other and oh, why are they different? And usually it's just something as simple as like those people just both think that each other are cool and they just don't have never talked to each other. Yeah, It's just, it can be as simple as that. Um, I don't think it, I mean, sometimes you get people that are like, I actually don't like, I don't fuck with this yeah, person. Yeah. But I think that's, quite rare i think in most people people love to talk about creative stuff with other people and love to like show love yeah. for other people's art it's just like it can be scary if you think somebody's cool you're like damn i don't want to be cringe in front of that yeah cringe is a mortal sin true <laughs> um so it's just due to like a confidence thing which is why I like events like having more group art events and having you know art where they can exist alongside each other provides a space where it's easy it feels like it's easy to talk to them yeah i think maybe yeah, maybe it's just more so there isn't that drive for individual creatives, like that reason for them to get out there and connect. Because one, mm. it's a confidence thing. Yeah. Two, um, I don't know, maybe they don't have a reason to connect and they, they don't necessarily see that benefit of having a whole community. I think the reason thing is like probably the big one where it's like, I mean, we're viewing them in this situation as people that are cool and creative and could be part of a community, but... And from their perspective, they're just, you know, they're just living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so then they don't really have that, probably don't have that intention. We're like, yeah, I'm going to go out and meet these people and then we do something cool. Like, they're just doing their thing. Yeah, fair You enough. know, so it's, I think with anything, it's always the recognition stage that's the hardest, which is like, so the big problem with Perth art becoming a community is everybody in the community has to recognise they're part of the community. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, everybody's going to be like, oh, sh- like, I'm actually actively a part of this yeah, yeah, group yeah. Yeah, that do sure. this sort mm-hmm. of thing yeah and so it's like actually True. understanding that is the hard part you yeah. know it's like it's like you know with mental health stuff it's like the hardest part about dealing with your mental health is recognizing that you have a problem and recognizing what that problem is yeah um so you know those people that are, are cool just need to recognize they're cool and should talk to more people and spread yeah. their coolness yes yeah. i think that. i think i'm what i'm trying to do is yeah just have everybody's recognize like they're a creative in perth and uh even though they're just creating their own thing in their own world 
try and help them see the benefit of having like a community here because mm. I think at some point maybe they're like oh I want to move to Melbourne but it's just like what if we had that here what if we yeah. create events or connect with people or have a podcast or whatever well and I guess this kind of like circles back and something we're going to talk about which is like I think what you're doing with this podcast is if you're like hey I want to interview you like when yeah. you asked me to interview when you were like hey I want to interview you it made me feel validated. Like, it made me kind of recognise, oh, maybe I'm doing something cool, Yeah, you know? And so, like, it's the same with an exhibition where you're like, hey, I would love to show your work. Oh, true. Somebody's like, oh, shit. Like, it, okay. I've been recognised okay. by yeah, somebody yeah, else as yeah, an yeah. artist. I am going to recognise that in myself now. You, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Oh, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. And so, it's it's interesting how the request of doing that actually has a flow-on effect. So if I'm like somebody and be like, when I just reach out to somebody and be like, hey, I would really love to show you art in an event or like I would love you to be a vendor, that like just even that process of being yeah. asked is a big deal. Yeah. Um, and that's like it helps them like recognize the situation that they're in. Yeah, you know? I think um, for sure. I think also even by you accepting to come on my podcast, I'm mm. like, oh, okay. So my podcast is validated by Atlee and you're like, you got the request, so it's it it, it is validating that, um, both sides, right? And that's what's creating community. And I think artists in Perth, maybe they they don't necessarily have something to you know invite that person to, or have something to help build the community. Necessary, they're just mm. kind, of, kind of focusing on their own thing. So yeah, well, you need things like, like it's then it's conf- it's a confidence. It is thing. Look, I would compare it to so. In different industries, in different places, companies will come together and they will give each other awards, you know? Oh, yeah. So, like, advertising, they have, like, the Pad C Award. Um, not calling them out or anything, but it's, like, they have awards that are, like, they, this was the best av- advertisement from our place this year, and that's recognising the craftsmanship of an industry as a whole yep. and then, like, a singular individual. And then that actually, that the effect of that is that it drives that company. They think they're better and then their yep. work gets better. Yeah. You know, like creating life is fucking absurd like we're all just on, on a spinning comet on like the, in the middle of nowhere like, yeah like creating meaning out of nothing yeah, yeah, yeah. is the greatest illusion of the human experience and so creating you know the illusion of you and i talking here right now to like help build the art community is amazing you know like recognizing yeah. that and building it it will have a flow-on effect where we do other things you know and so creating moments of like where somebody can feel accomplished and achieved in their art will make that happen will drive them to make more art and to feel more confident in their art and you know have yeah, fun effects. that's funny because that in itself is art in you are art is creating meaning out of nothing nothing mm-hmm. um unexpectedly deep <laughs> yeah yeah but it's cool like that's why like like that's why i like hosting ape stuff is because it helps people recognize their their skill you know and it makes them it f- makes them feel like they have intent and purpose and that's like the hardest thing is to feel like you have a, like a path forward and so giving somebody that is creative a sign that that, that is a path forward to them is going to make them a better creative it's re- it it <laughs> we it, it's it's a really like complex idea it is because it people view everything so differently um but it's cool, you know. It's <laughs> there's a lot to think about. There. It is, and it's a big idea, you know. It is, and I think in Perth we have, you know, less 
people or less like creatives compared to Melbourne. So there's less kind of events or award shows mm-hmm. like. There's less like validating experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why they're so important mm-hmm. to have those because those experience, those events, those awards. They signify the importance. Yeah. And uh, it's a huge key in creating community. It is. I mean, it's the same reason why, like, here's a rogue example. The same reason why, like, the Chinese, like, a, a, dic- a authoritarian dictatorship will host, like, giant displays of grandeur, you know, like, marching out their armies. Everybody's yep. out there. Because when you're, you know, when you live a crazy life and you're in that mm. moment, you're like, well, maybe this is something that I just, I'm part of something bigger and I don't understand, you know, and maybe, it, like, it, it, that's a moment where they're signifying importance of something that it will make somebody view themselves differently and then act yeah. differently in the future yeah. for a bad reason, I think. But, you know, like with art, it, we're trying to give somebody an experience that will flow on them to do more of a positive thing. It's crazy how, like, everything is basically art. Yeah, life is art. Yeah. it's a. I think it's a very freeing way to think about it, you know. But I think that's also why so many artists get into the pain is uh, pain and suffering is art sort of vibe, which I'm not... I'm, yeah, I'm not yeah. against, but like I don't want to. Your stuff on is that. very um, playful and colorful, and uh, what is it, grotesque as well? Yeah, I mean my work's dirty. Like, I mean, like how about we bring some stuff out here and check it out, and you can talk about it. Sure. I mean, just look at this guys. Probably have to lift them up a little bit. I mean, like this is all made out of blue tack. It's just so. Fu- it's just funny to me. Like it, it's. Just like the shoes, I don't know. It just—it's hilarious. Yeah, but it's meant to be like kind of pull you away at different points. But like as an evidence of what I was saying, like this is like colorful and playful, um, and bright. But it's also like really dirty. So I make most of my last body of work, which was a while ago, because I've been lazy working. Um, it's all made out of blue tack, and there's like a whole process involved with doing that. But when I was making it, I spent such a long time doing it that. You know, like there would be dirt and dust and stuff that build up on the outside, which was unintentional. Yeah. But I actually ended up really liking it um, because it kind of just reflected like it was, it came from the art itself came from my cartoonish side, but the dirt on the outside came from reality. Yeah. And the combination of the two is like really what life is to me is that it's like we have like our internal childish core um, that gets, uh, you know, covered by like the harsh, you know realities of life yeah but it's like finding a balance of the two and like being able to still see the brightness and stuff in life that makes it worthwhile i think true um but yeah no it's a uh, art life is art yeah it's like uh in reality life is kind of harsh and difficult and um but with a certain perspective you can see the beauty in it i think Mm. All art is kind of helping you see things differently, see the world differently. Yeah. And uh, I can definitely see that with this. It's like you've got these like dirty, funny, funky shoes and this like these colourful legs with like these hair things coming out and it's kind of gross. But like the reality is it's gross, but it's funny at the same time. It's like you can laugh at it and that's kind of – how I see life a lot of the time, I, I see things as like, I usually see like the funny, the funny side to life. I think you which helps to. me. Yeah, another reason, and like another reason why I like my art style, 
um, is that I think the most interesting thing to me about like cartoons and like kids' cartoons is that those are made by like adults. So there's a reason why there's bones in this leg, is because like behind like that child. Wait, can 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 you show the just oh, yeah. the inside? Yeah, yeah, it's good. We got some layering in there. Um, because like behind all that like creative cartoonish childish um exterior, there's like an adult that's like choosing what elements to show off. Yeah, I think, and I think that's really cool and worth thinking about. Um, there's a reason why adults love watching kids movies so much, you know. Because, like, they want to remember the outside bits. But the inside and the out, like, the harsh realities and the childish bits go hand in hand. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, which is cool. But, yeah, I, I actually talk about how I made these because it's kind of cool. Yeah. So, BlueTac is, um, Blue is oil-based. Um, so, that means that you can colour it with, like, wax crowns and oil paints really easily. But it also means you can set it in the same way you do like an oil painting. Okay. So I figured out during COVID, losing my mind, that um, if you spray it with like a repellent hydrocarbon, which is uh, a fixative, it'll um, it'll set and it will stop being sticky. It won't set like fully, like because you're only covering the outside, there'll still be blue tack on the inside that might be a little bit malleable, but the outside will like um, hold, its, hold its form and also hold its colour. So these like purple bits... That's actually like white. It's called tough tack. It's not actually blue tack. Um, and then I've coloured it in with like a wax crown, and it's that's why it's got kind of like a bit of a non imperfect, like kind of white, like patchy exterior because you know wax crowns yeah. aren't perfect. And then I've sprayed it, and now that actually stays on for good. Um, but it's really cool. And how is it? Because it's quite sturdy. Is that all just blue tack? No, you no, got no, like no. a stick that in would there. Be insane. Um, I so to make my this collection of sculptures, what I did is I would get chicken wire and I would make a like a frame, yep. um, kind of mold into the shape I want, and then I'd cover it in cloth tape, and then I would put the blue tack on top as like a layer. Yep. It's actually quite expensive. Blue tack's like $4 for like 90 grams. Jeez. And I spent like, what year was COVID? 2019, 2020? I spent $500 on blue tack that year. What? That's that's ridiculous. Why is blue tack so expensive? I, uh, I, look, is I it, is it um, what's it, the one one brand? It's like Bic? Is it Bic that owns? Uh, it's Bostic, which might be related to Bic, actually. I'm not sure. But, yeah, they own, like, they own, it's like, a conspiracy the form- theory. They, they own the formula to it, I think, um, whatever that formula actually is. So there's a couple of different, like, variants, but they're all, like, a little bit chemically different. Okay. So I think the, what I've noticed about BlueTac is that it's a little less brittle than some of the other ones you might be able to get, which is why it's so much better, because it, like, BlueTac will kind of dry out after a while. So I've actually made some, and I will release some sculptures one day. It gets harder after a while. Hey? Yeah, but you yeah. can mix it with like, I did some ones where I mixed it with clay and it would dry and it would set. Um, the clay would like, you get air drying clay and the clay would dry, but also the blue tack would kind of dry as well um, because it suck, kind of sucked all the moisture out. I think I, It's really weird. Um, it's That's why, I, I mean, I'm a very tactile person and I would I like playing with things for the feeling and blue tack has such an interesting feel to it. Um, and you can play with it, play with it, play with it, and it will take up all the heat. You know, interesting. It's quite dense, um, and it, I it's. I feel like an you're adhesive. obsessed with blue tech. Not really. I'm trying to. I'm getting off my addiction. It's an expensive <laughs> hobby. Oh, expensive hobby. And the shoes. I just love the shoes. I don't know. Just mm. it just adds to the piece yeah, so I got, well. I got these from uh, my friend. Just like funny, funny mum shoes. Fellow artist uh, Yanni. Joggers. Singh. Well, yeah. I mean, most of the stuff I make. Um, I don't make art with, like, an output focus. So, like, my mate Ed Atchison, 
when he makes something, he's like, I want to see exactly this painting with yeah. these background elements. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to go do that. And that's not how I approach my art. Um, I prefer to make things. I prefer to let my method be fluid and yeah. that my output is random, random-ish. Yeah. So with this one, like Yanni gave me these shoes and I was like, all right, well, like, what so you had, I you had the shoes first. I had the shoes first. And then I was like, okay, well, like, I, I usually do, I'm, I like color matching. So I was like, okay, well, I like blue, pink, and purple together. And then, you know, just kind of go from there. So it's like a stage process. And then at each step in a stage, like, you know, like, look at it. And then I was like, what else needs to get added? And that's how I like to make my art. Um, and that's how these came about. So I would have made the legs first. Like made the frame, and then I would have coloured it. I, I don't know why I did strips. It's I interesting. Like it is interesting how there are the two different processes. Just like mm. having a plan and yeah. going for that, but then also just like free freestyling it and getting a feeling for what you're doing, and then like you get the end product. Yeah, different different sort of creators, man. I mean, Ed and I work really well together, like really well together, because our styles are so different. Yeah, because he's like, I really want to see this, and I can like, I'm more fluid with it, and so it gets like a good back and forth. But I do think like that that difference in sort of like how you choose to make things, it's all about like what lets you be creative. So if I was trying to do what Ed does and I was trying to like be like, okay, I want to see exactly this, it would frustrate me. I'm not a perfectionist, you know. Yep. I'm, I'm more free-flowing. I like randomness. Um, and I, I want to give myself the the space to be creative. That's what makes me, well, that's what helps me work. Like putting like a limit on yourself. Yeah, and if I did put a limit on myself, it would limit, for me personally, it would limit my creativity and it would mean that, I, like, I'm quite self-critical, so I'd probably, like, get disheartened by the process yep. and then, you know, eventually, like, stop making or get tired, you know. I mean, like, the key for anybody that wants to be an art, like, anybody can make art once in their life, but to the key to being a lifelong artist is learning what you need to do in your processes and what you need to change about your environment to let you be creative. I mean, yep. we were talking about it before, like when you were talking about like making money from your art, yeah, how that changed the nature of how you th it, it it stopped your flow of creativity. Yeah, I want to talk about that a bit, like about monetizing art, because even with this project, do you plan to monetize it at all, or with uh, sure. with plastic, yeah, uh, plastic jungle? I mean, like it's hard. To, I don't like to view. I don't like to plan too much. I, I like to plan. I like to have ideas, but like, I don't want to assume too much. Like I'm, as I said, like I like to take things step by step. So, I mean, it would be nice to make money from that. I don't think we'll make money on this event, which is fine. Like I, I'm doing it. Oh, I mean, like from your works of art. On my work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would like to make money from it. It's for me. Um, uh, my strategy or my like my path to making money will probably be just like making things. I think people are going to have to learn to like my art. Do you, do you see kind of yourself building like a personal brand around your art and then having exhibitions and then maybe mm. people perching, us, perching it that way? Yeah, well, so like I think for me, um, I mean, I'm kind of already doing that. I'm just being myself. So I think people do like my art, but like rather than making something that everybody else wants to see, I'm making something that I want to see. Yep. And then I have to just give, show people... I have to lead people down like a pathway where they can see it how I see it and appreciate it, if that makes sense. Um, so I'm not I'm not making something I've seen on TikTok that I know people already like. I'm making yep. what I want to see yep. and then slowly over time when people see like the my spectrum of work, they'll be like, okay, like I understand where he's coming from here and then it's it's more of a slow burn, you know. I think uh, I think that's the 
best way yeah. to do it. But you get more like longevity as an artist if you do it that way, rather than like being an artist that panders to their audience. Yep. Where I think they, when you're, when you're just giving them what they want, they stop coming back because they already know what you're going to give them. But when you give them what you want, it's always surprising, you know, because they're not you. Yep. And because that is you and it's come from your, like yourself, no one can copy that or replicate that. Yeah. Well, it gives, it makes it so much harder to read, right? Like when you're trying to shadow, when you're trying to like make something for somebody else, you're kind of like trying to think about what they want to see. And that's probably like a very, le- it's far simpler ideas in that than when you're just making something for yourself. Like that could, there could be layers of subconscious thought in that. There are in this. Like there are things that when we're talking about it, I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, maybe there's a little bit of that in there. And because I don't even know what I'm making, like how is somebody else going to know? That's yeah. what makes it engaging yeah. is when you've just poured your soul into it and nobody really knows the content of their, content of their own soul. So like people are just going to have like a million different interpretations of it, which I, which I love. And yeah, that's why it will be, you know, it's, it's valuable now and it'll just keep getting more valuable is because, um, and, and it kind of relates to a topic I was talking um, about with Matsu Photography, Daniel, mm. um, which is like with the introduction of artificial intelligence, like what does that mean for us as artists? And mm. we were kind of saying uh, um, artificial intelligence haven't lived that life, haven't had that like life experience they're just creating out of instructions that you've given. And although it does create like amazing paintings, like it can create a Van Gogh painting mm. out of a photo that you give it, um, it's like pretty incredible. It yeah. can never, it could never like copy Replace. what you're doing because mm. you're going to be developing as a person and you don't even know what's mm. sort of next. It could like change into something else and AI yeah. couldn't do that. Yeah. I mean, I think. I'm personally really excited about the that AI sort of art, but I think um, what it does is it, I don't think it's meant to replace an art like an artist. It's actually meant to be a tool for an artist. So yeah. I think all yeah, the stuff I've seen about it is that it's meant to be more of like an idea generation tool. You know, where if you type in like oh, I'm thinking about this stuff, and you type in those words, and you see what it spits back at you, which is basically like an amalgamation of like the current consciousness of those words you gave it. And to be like, okay, like if I make something about this, this is what people might be expecting. And then that will give you, hopefully should give you ideas that you then make something more original out of rather than like, you know, just plugging in words to a computer and then being like, hey, I I typed this in and I made this out. I don't don't think that's proper art. Yeah, I think. um, But if you give it, if you set the parameters to make it, then yes. But I think it is a really good like idea generation tool. That's what I'm excited for. You know, like you, you can already see it like they've been, have you seen the sneaker? Um, the AI sneakers that are getting made. Um, yes, so I've yep. seen some of them. Like I don't know if there's anything consistent, but they're like NFT sneakers. Mm, no, more like people were getting. Oh, like it's like a AI, it's like a, a randomly generated sneaker. Oh, and then, okay, no, I haven't seen that. And then people aren't using it, like just using that. They like take elements from these different AI generated sneakers and they make something of their own. But they've take they've seen something in that that like, actually that's really cool. And then they've been like, okay, how can I use that? Um, and so in that way, AI is actually a very helpful thing. Yeah. But it's not like the centerpiece of the art. It's just like another tool in your like in your toolbox as an yeah. artist to think broadly and then to like find a creative direction. For sure. Yeah, I think uh, what Daniel was saying as well, it is a tool kind of like a mood board 
and mm. like you can create yeah. different things and it can inspire your work um, that way. Yeah, I think that's 100% true. Um, and I, I, there's an artist, um, his name is Tom Lins, Tom, Tom Linson. Uh, I'll bump him later. But he's a cool, um, he, he's a graphic designer that works in advertising, but he uses AI really well to like yep. just give it random things and he'll use that as a basis to make other models and stuff out of. Um, and it, he uses it really well to just make his creative output so abstract. Like mm. just the imagery he uses is so weird. And I, it's not even in his style because he's used that to like give him, you know, shapes and stuff that he wouldn't have reached otherwise. But then yeah. he's made it his own yep. on top of that. Um, and I think as an artist, that's really cool because everything is like a, every art idea is like an iteration of something that's already happened. But when you have something like, the, you know, the AI where it just functions a bit, little bit differently to a human brain, we're getting like different ideas to work off. Yeah. And I think that's a really exciting thing for art. For sure. And kind of back on the uh the topic of monetizing your art. So what what uh cuz my my perspective has changed on this. I used to think okay, I want to create a personal brand around my photography and then sell my creative photography or be like just live off my own creativity. But my perspective has changed now where it's I don't really feel comfortable doing that because my photography is my style of photography is kind of so sacred to me as a artist mm. i don't really feel comfortable monetizing that as far as i know and i feel more comfortable having a business and then make money off like a business mm. so that i can get income that way but not uh necessarily monetize my creative work completely i mean i want to sell photo books and that sort of thing mm. but because it's my creative outlet i don't want to sell that yeah, off. no, I think that's fair. I mean, like, um, so with my art personally, like, I'm not really making art with the intention, like, oh, I'm going to sell this. I'm, like, making this to sell. Um, and if, if I do sell art, that's cool. Like, I'm happy to do that. But, like, it's not the goal. You know, like, I want to make art because I want to make something and I want to or I want to see something, not to have a monetary gain. And I think when people, when you do start making money from art, it re- it can really change the experience, you know. It's like when a uh, like when a musician becomes really starts to take off, you know, and then they're making money from art, and then actually the things they do in their life become a chore, and you know, making music becomes a chore. Then it changes how they actually view the art, and then they'll probably stop being creative, you know. I'm yeah. sure it's happened. It happened to you a bit. It's happened to a lot of my mates where they mainly graphic designers where it's, they start to yeah. work, and then they have to like use their creativity for somebody else, and maybe they don't want to do it, and they're not allowed to take a break. And it's exhausting and they're like, I don't want to, I want to do anything else but this. It's, I think it's something, it's about creative freedom. So like now I have the creative freedom with my style of creative photography to go out and create like whatever I want. But if there was some other invested interest um, where I have to monetize this or have to like create this to make money, it would limit that creative freedom. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think. I think a lot of it is that, like, creativity isn't, like, a linear thing, you know? Like, it's hard to control. Like, as much as you are a part of your creativity, I don't really know where I'm going to go with it, you know? Like, I can kind of guess, but when I'm being creative, I might just start doing something and be like, that looks kind of, isn't what I expected, you know? And so when you try to, like, turn creativity into, like, you know, like a linear output where you're like, okay, I'm going to make this for this person, it's really, it's very exhausting, 
but it also like just changes the flow of that you know that creativity yep. from you um and then it just becomes a lot harder to output so i think that it's a really i mean creativity is such a like a psychologically complex thing to talk about um so i couldn't really really even scratch the surface but my take on it is that like just when when it becomes a chore and you stop enjoying it you don't enter that like flow state yeah. anymore. I think the flow it's the it's the flow state for me. So I know I'm when I made my first collection of all these, it was like a couple months and then I was just so exhausted. Um and I just didn't make anything for like a couple months. I was like, I just need a break. Yeah, there's something about you gotta be in tune with yourself mm. as a creative. Like even now I haven't posted on my Instagram or taken any sort of photos in my style because I'm one, because I'm kind of working on a book, but I think it's important to have the ability to give yourself a break and don't feel like pressure, like, mm. oh, my followers, I'm going to have to post or you can't like l- limit your creativity in any way like that. Well, it's like, it's not even just limiting. I'd call it like compromising your creativity. If you feel like... You others, have, yeah. Yeah, like if you feel like you have to do <coughs> something for somebody, then it's going to change what the output is, right? Where if like, if you're just posting only when you want things to post, that quality and what that looks like is very different. Or like for likes or views. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're doing it for yourself because you just want to put something out there versus like if you're doing it for just because you want to post every day, those look completely different. Yep. And what you're going to be posting is completely different. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I work full-time and I... What's your full-time job? So I work as like an economics consultant. Um, I, I actually, I'm an analyst, but I work for a consulting company, kind of do consulting and analytical work at the same time. Um, what like what's an example of something that you would do? Uh, the most common thing is something called like retail gravity modeling. So it's where you get like uh, household the number of households in an area and their like weekly incomes, and then their like distance to a, to shopping centers sort of thing, and then you predict like how much certain shopping centers would make. Okay, and then you can kind of from that extrapolate like if there is excess demand in an area for another shopping center to be there, oh, okay. or if you know like. That's pretty cool. That's uh, that kind of is it anthropology. It's kind of like do you is, is the study of humans and how they interact with environments in a way or not really? Uh, yeah, like a little bit. E- economics is a, uh, in my experience, is something where a lot of people have a lot of different takes on what it is. And in my opinion, I think the economics is like the merging of like human psychology and like financial models. I think. Yep. Um. So a lot of what I do is actually like just trying to quantify complex things. Not a lot of sometimes some of the work I do is about like trying to quantify like at more abstract human patterns sort of thing. That's like a really easy one. Like we know that people want to go out and need to buy groceries. Yep. And so we're just kind of like tracking like you know like using like the f- equation for gravity to figure out like depending on how far somebody is from that shopping center, how much they'll actually shop there and like how much they'll spend sort of thing to yep. just like kind of estimate if, if you put a shopping center somewhere, if it'll make money sort of thing or if like there an, there's a need for a shopping center somewhere or there's also like the state government has thing called like an activity center hierarchy where it doesn't want like, they don't want bigger shop, like bigger activity centers like the city or Northbridge or something to be like outdone by like a neighborhood center, which might yeah. be like a small shop. And it's actually kind of it's a bit of a backwards rule, but um interesting have you ever used that um sort of knowledge for maybe what you're doing with apeshit or the art community or anything like that uh i've only been doing it for since this like this year but more and more so for sure um does that change how you think about things yeah i think so i mean like 
So I, I guess so like an aha moment I had for me with my job is that my boss was like, like Adley, like economics isn't about, um, fine, like it's not about what we call tr- like financial transferals. So like the transfer of money. It's about like just any transferal. So that could be like knowledge transferals, which could be like culture. Yep. It could be just like communication. It could be like emotions, but like creating spaces and maximizing any of those transferals is economics. Yep. So, you know, like having a park is really good because people might talk there, but they also do exercise. Um, even just like having an exhibition is good because you will like get different perspectives in a space and then like the flow and effect of how that will like change a community to become closer yep. together because yep. people understand each other more. And then when they understand each other, they'll spend, you know, they might actually transfer money between each yep. other, yep. which will have like a better effect. Um, it's so it's like it's value transfer. So people not only they might buy a ticket to an exhibition, not only to see the art, but also be inspired by art mm-hmm, to meet other mm-hmm. creatives. And oh yeah, yeah, touching on some juicy stuff right there. So the company I work for, Praxis, there, there's a sister company called Culture Counts, and what they actually do is it's run by my boss, who's an, the CEO, who's you know he, coming from an economics background, and he um, has this software that they built where they just go and they interview people after art events to quantify like that sort of effect, the value transfer, yeah. so that those art organizations can take that to the government and be like Interesting. our event has actually people got inspired by this or they felt this way and then validate that they should get more funding it's one of the things i actually i actually chose to work where i work because i was like the fact that they have this yeah business means that they understand yeah. the value of culture in an economy and, and art, like an yeah. art in an economy it's really cool yeah because the average person i don't think the average person really sees the value of art like mm. at all they don't feel connected to it and they're, they're like it's just it's just art it's just a sculpture but there's actually so much value uh, that is provided in the community through art yeah i mean i would say it's not the average person i think the average person does but i think it's like the sort of person that's making decisions in that environment so um so like you know like government leaders and stuff or like business leaders don't often, in my experience, don't often understand the value of art because they have purpose, because they do something, they make shit ton of money, or they like you know they get to you know blab their mouth every day. That's their purpose. But like art, for a lot of people, gives them a purpose. So it's harder for them to. I mean, like even indigenous communities, like art is a economic tool that they can use to actually generate wealth, which has been incredibly hard for that community because of us. But um. Like there are all these things that art does that those people don't understand. It's a form don't. of communication. Yeah. Like they, talking about indigenous people, they keep like their stories and knowledge within mm. art and that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's really complex, but a lot of the people that actually get to have a say in where money goes and if art gets funding often don't understand that because they, they get those things from other parts in their life, like their job, usually their job. What's your understanding of... Um, kind of government funding in terms of the arts community here in Perth? I mean, I'm not super well over what sort of grants and stuff we have. I know we've got, like, we do have some stuff about, um, but... Have you heard of Propel? No. What's Propel? It's it's interesting because Propel, um, it's a government-funded mm. organisation here in Perth and they create 
events uh like kicks the kickstart festival oh, yeah. and like they've even got some stuff on mm. and i've even i had coffee with someone who worked there um recently but i w- i told them i was like i have so many creative friends and they don't know who you are you. yeah and from my perspective um they they get the funding and then they're like creating all these events but they're not actively reaching out to different creatives to get involved and that's why nobody really knows about them i think they do have some like i like how they're actually creating events mm. but i don't think creatives are going to them one because they don't know about them and two because they're not actively reaching out and collaborating they're not active they're not like in the creative community like they're funded by mm. the government for the creative community but they're not actively getting involved yeah they're kind of just like here's our event we, we're not going to reach out to you. We're just hosting it. We put yeah. it on our social media, but it's like who's actually going and getting it's value. It's a pretty, um, in my experience so far, it's a pretty common um, issue with um, sort of like government-funded. Uh, it's like go- when governments have initiatives, they'll be like, we want to do this. Oh, yeah. So this is... The peak body for youth arts in Western yeah. Australia. It's one of those things where it's like somebody's like a higher up is like, we want to do this, you know, we want to, you know, have reach out to these indigenous communities or we want to like generate this social welfare sort of thing. And they have these ideas, these really good ideas for it, and they have the money for it, but they don't do the legwork to actually connect people. Yeah. And like, I, I see yeah. a lot in our, in my sort of job where the government's like, yeah, we want um, agglomerated economies to create a more diverse economy. And like, that's great. You know what the theory is, but you're not actually making initiatives so property developers actually have to have, you know, develop properties in a certain way to allow that. Yeah. Um, it happens a lot. And it's just like everybody has the right idea, but nobody's willing to do the hard nitty gritty bit of reaching out and finding even if people. Even if they're like, they have the money to create the event, they have the money to pay mm. maybe musicians to come to the event. But it's just the, I don't know whether it's the passion or the groundwork of like actually reaching out and, I mean, they can reach out. We have social media, so I don't know why they're, they yeah. don't reach out. And they actually do have some cool informative events to teach people how to get grants and whatever. But yeah, again, they're not. It's just not reaching the right It's people. like, why haven't they messaged you about um, ape shit? Why, yeah. why didn't they reach out to, for like um, all the rage and be like, hey, how can we help? Yeah. They're just kind of like, oh, we got the funding. You can contact us for. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it sometimes feels just like the people that work in these sort of agencies, just because they have that title, they're like, well, they should just be coming to us. Mm. Um, and it's just a really, it seems to be a common misconception. I don't know where it comes from, honestly, but it is disheartening. And but I think mm-hmm. a lot of, there are a lot of things, problems that I see in maybe Australia in general that happen because there are organisations and, you know, departments and stuff in the government that just don't talk. You know, like the public the public transport authorities one. Like, uh, it's a little... Actually, I love this little rant, but it's like every train, every train station has, like, a car park around it. Um, and that seems like... At a glance, it seems like a logical idea. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to catch the bus. Oh, I'm going to catch... I'm just going to drive in and catch the train. But it's like, how many other places do that? Because we actually want people to get off the train and walk around businesses... To, to do what we call activate them. Because, yeah. like, when you walk, if you had to walk five minutes from the parking station to the train, true. you might get a coffee on the way or something. You yeah, might stop and look true. at art. But it's just like, we've just built a fucking system where everybody drives from their house 
all the way to the train station, then they go just straight straight from that to work. Like it's yeah, I think our urban planning is our urban horrible. planning is shit. Fucking boomers here are—they've done a terrible job. We are one of the largest cities in the world, um, and not for any good reason. It is <laughs> it's it's one of my favorite rants, but it's really sad. Like I think we talk about the problem connecting people in Perth, and the re- the problem of like connecting these communities. And the biggest reason for it is literally because we're spread out over such a wide space. Like it's really costly for me to go hang out and see my friends because they live forty minutes away. It's, it's definitely one of the reasons why there is less collaboration because you have to drive like because half an hour. Yeah, yeah, because everybody here because the way that you know the government and the property market and the de- property developers have interacted is that they're only making houses. They're not making apartments. And if they do make apartments, they're really upscale. It's fucked. And so it just like, it spreads everything out and it just creates this mindset of just people who are just going to be like, oh, I'm just going to like, you know, grow up and then I instantly have to raise a family because if I can't afford a house, I'm fucked. Yeah. Like it's, it's, Perth is in a transitionary phase from being a small town to an actual state, like a capital city, like capital of the state, but it's taking a long time. It's taking a long time because the people in charge aren't actually trying to change it. They're just giving people what they want. I feel like the people in charge just don't care. They don't have that. I don't know if it's they don't care. I think they get paid not to care. You see, uh, the if that, I that's that's the thing. Like this is my little rant. I think we're a very wealthy city. We're a very well-off city because we're one of the most strongest. We're one of the strongest economies in the world. Yeah, because of mining. Like yes. we have, we have um, like so many mineral resources we make so much of mining that's why we're wealthy we're well off so then we're like what else like i've got my money like why do i have to help the arts community or like why do we have to have good urban planning like why do we have to have build our um, train stations so they like we've got we've got the money so it's just like because we've got the money we care less in general about other things i mean i think that's definitely part of it like so I always say that scarcity breeds creativity. So when an economy is tighter, you yep. talk about it more yep. and you can't find more creative solutions. And because money is so good, it, it's afforded Perth people to just have like a giant fucking land cruiser, like a three-story house that they with a backyard they never go in and never drive out of the city. And they have all this shit and it's like, bro, you've never driven in the outback, cunt. You drive your fucking kid to, to a footy once a week and then you drive and park it in the city... And then you drive it home. Like, what is that? You literally drive the same way and you're not getting public transport. How does that make sense? 100%. And it's a lot of, it's a difference, I say, in Perth between like want and need. So there's a lot of things. I mean, we talked about perspective before. And there are a lot of people here that have never leaved, left Perth. And they like, there are things that they have. They're like, well, I need this. It's like, no, you don't actually need a Land Cruiser and all that, you know, those fancy gadgets. That's what you want. What you need is like somewhere to sleep, a community to live in, somewhere to eat and a job. And, you know, friends and like a lover, you know, like a partner. Those are the things you need. You don't need these like material possessions. and You don't, you don't need a giant backyard. Why not just go to the park? It's going to be a better use space anyway, you know? Yeah, I think in general people's values are sort of screwed because of how good it is here. I mean, like anyone can just get a FIFO job, mm. work in mining, make lots of money, buy a Land Cruiser. Yeah. What? So we're... C- we're kind of just like, what else do we need? Like, that's why... There's no incentive for change. Yeah, there's no incentive for change. There's no incentive for funding, creativity and um, 
you know, making the urban planning amazing because mm. we're just like, eh, I got my house, got my yeah. land cruiser, got my FIFO job. It, it feels to me like there is a, and I've talked about this before, like some sort of suppression on creativity here or maybe some lack of need, like people, the government doesn't need, like we need a good art scene. I mean, I mean, I think I would, per- I think there's heaps of art in Perth. And I mean, like wealth also breeds creativity because you're, when you're richer, you have more free time. So it's easier, you have more time to make art. So I think there is a lot of art here. Um, but, like, again, it's like... But if, if you walk around the city of Perth, like... Well, it, that's what, like, that was going to be my feel, point. It feels, like, sort of empty. I mean, we've got the green cactus. Because it's so spread out, man. Like, it's just, like, there is art here. And if we were concentrated in a smaller space, Perth would be an amazing, vibrant place. But because they've... The way they built it, they just keep on expanding it. Yeah, it's urban it, sprawl, yeah. Urban sprawl. It just keeps on being, like, this bland... Like blander and blander stuff, and then over time, you know, places like Frio and Northbridge and West Leederville, they start to get more creative, and you see things when people exist in the space more for a culture, long time. Yeah. yeah, they people get to personalize the space that they live in, but because we're still in this process of like con- constantly expanding out instead of filling in, um, we so just do don't you see think that to solve that problem. We should just be building more sort of apartments, yeah, and creating like more of an incentive for. Well, what the government would actually need to do is they would need to be like, there needs to be in a, to the local governments that have to be like, there needs to be this percentage of apartment dwellings. So like a high density, like four, what, like there would be a dwelling target per square meter in your, in these areas. Um, but that doesn't happen. What actually is crazy. So the inner city regions of Perth are not, are like less dense than somewhere like the outer regions because they're all owned by, like, the really wealthy people here that want to live close to the city. So, like, the... Do you mean less dense in terms of population? Yeah, like, bigger houses, you know. Um, like, they're not um, they're not becoming more ah, dense. okay. So they're, like, they're not designed for a lot of people to live there. They're designed for, like, wealthy people to have a lot of land. Well, it's not even just that they weren't designed that way. It's also, like, they're not changing. So, we would be expecting right now that places closer to the city centre would be becoming more packed in yep. you know more apartments be popping up but that's actually not happening it's act it's like there's a bit of a wealth divide so that those places are staying the same and it's just like more places are getting built outside of the city so we're expanding out um rather than filling in that center center and some of those like outer suburbs actually have more apartments than like in like cot or something for example and it's only now that it's kind of yeah. switching it's it's I mean, there's so, there's so many things to like, talk about. I like guess that. Coburn's an example of where they're building more apartments yeah. compared to, say, Cottesloe, which is mostly just houses. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the idea of owning a house separate to other things is like it's kind of like the old like American dream, I think. Um, and I think that's an idea. And that's it's also tied to independence, which is a very... Independence from family, which is a very Western... A very Western yep, value. Yep. Mm. And I think the fact that the inner suburbs of Perth have stayed like that is reflective that most of the people that are rich here are white third-generation Australians that have lived here um, and have those values and are not changing. They're the people that aren't changing. People that move in here from, like, Indonesia and, like, Korea and India and stuff, they are more inclined to live closer together because they understand the value of community. But I don't think Australian culture traditionally has been very open to community. We've been quite an isolated culture. Yeah, no, for sure. Like as yeah, someone who has travelled um, when I was you know younger, going to yeah places like Indonesia mm. or Africa, 
um, their value on community is just it's just so much they just value it so much more it's just a lot more casual like when I I was in Jakarta for like a couple of months working not that long, that long like only like two months or so but something that I saw which I reflect on a lot is that whenever we would be riding on like motorcycles in traffic people would just pull up at the traffic lights and they just start talking to each other yeah they had no like they literally just saw them they pull up they have no idea who each other are and they just start talking that doesn't happen in Perth People so it's here the are, same in Africa as well. People yeah, just people talk to each other, and when when they come here, you can hear you hear Africans talk about it all the time. Like, just feels empty. There's not that community. Like you walk down the street and you talk to someone, and they just give you a strange look. People here are afraid of other people. You know, my my parents' generation were deathly afraid of going into the city, and that's fucking absurd, man. This is a very safe country, and to be that deathly afraid of people is a corrupt mindset that has like weakened our like has weakened our culture our community yeah well because it's just like we it's just you're viewing people as others all the time rather than viewing people as somebody that you can understand and i think it's changing do you think it's because we don't really know who we are as a i think that's definitely part of it it's like as it's an identity thing i think also like growing up in australia has been hard you know like there have been the issues between indigenous cultures and colonizers has been hard but also like we're really like it's such a big place, man. Like, you would have people that would go live out in a farm in the middle of nowhere for years, never talk to anybody. Like, you would definitely have had people that would have become quite abstract in their mannerisms. And I think my take, and this is completely, no, there's no, I don't have evidence for this, but I think the effect of that, like, having so much space and that isolation has had on our people is that it, that there is a kind of a fear of other people. Is that does that make sense? It's 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 a hard thing to track, and I think there are a lot of reasons for it. Like it's probably not just that. You know, there's also stuff like, you know, like Murdoch, or like Rupert Murdoch. Yeah. It's like he's just given us the most racist bullshit for the last like whatever, like 40, 50 years. Like that has an effect. But it's a lot of those things, um, which is why I think it's so important that we embrace our multiculturalism. Hundred percent. Like that's how I view myself as as an Australian. Like, just and. Uh, like my view is built up by the different cultures and mm. people around me, and I, I love that we live in a multicultural society. Yeah. It's like we're surrounded by people with all these different perspectives and me too, man. traditions, and it's beautiful. Different types of amazing food. Oh, it's <laughs> sick, man! I mean, we're in East Vic, we're in East Vic Park, right? East Vic Park, yeah, we're in East yeah. Vic Park right now. It's the it's the great example, like one of the best examples of like multiculturalism, where it's just like, I guess the southern, the South Perth there was like an opportunity for all these different vendors to actually like come and grow their businesses a lot, a lot more than other suburbs because they're less regulated. Yeah. But it's just like inspired this most amazing food culture. Yeah. You know, and walk, going down that strip is always so cool. Yeah. And I, I, I see that as a good example of what Perth could become. Yeah. And you're actually starting to see it right now. Like I was talking about how more Western sort of Australians live in more houses than apartments and the south of Perth is definitely a little bit more apartment-ridden than other places. Mm. Yeah, for sure. It's a bad habit, you know. I, I have mates that have already bought houses, and I just look at them like, "Why? Why do you want to? Why do you want to go home on the weekend and clean your backyard for four hours? I just worked full time all week." You know, there's more time and cost, more time and financial cost that goes into looking after an independent property than sharing a space with other people. You can use that time to actually interact with other people rather than just working on like your rose bushes for a couple of hours. Like not to say you couldn't, you shouldn't have those things, but I think there's like an expectation that you need to have those things. I actually, I totally 
see that now just from the topics we're talking about before and like the fear of other people and us as Australians or people that live in Perth are more like very individual people which is probably why they want to buy houses and not buy yeah. live in an apartment with other people who oh, you yeah. may interact with um so yeah that that could that could be why individual interesting individualism is a good word it's definitely like i definitely like to view like you know like a american like australian british sort of like individual culture individualism culture versus like the more family orientated you know like southeast asian sort of communities you know or like middle east and like a lot of these other older, not, yeah, I would say older cultures have a higher stress on the importance of family and hence community. Yeah. Um, and I think we moved away. From, we might have we might have moved away from those ideas because, in the name of productivity and output, but I think we've realized in a world where we have finite resources, that everybody getting what they want is not going to be collectively the best outcome for the group. Yeah. Yeah. Like the best example is like everybody trying to drive into the city in their own car versus like if everybody just caught the train is hugely different. Yeah. You know, everybody trying to do, and they're all going the same place, but they're all trying to do it their own way. Yeah. We do. We, yeah. Just very individual. Yeah. And I, like, there's good things about being individualistic, but there's also like, you need to balance it. You and lose I, a lot as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the, like, we're in a crazy time in, in, you know, in human history right now where we're collectively finding a new balance um, and that's a balance with like what human need, like the human need, but also like our environmental needs, like our social needs. And so I think having these discussions about like actually, people in Perth have way too much. We yeah, don't I need think, this. I much. think we're all very, like as individuals, we're all very well off. Like we've got oh man, a lot of people do FIFO, so they got their money, and they got their house, and they got their like. So it's just like, what's the reason for community? Like why? Why should we have, like, they don't have their own reason for community. Yeah, well, it's like, like a good example is like, there'll be guys that buy like, uh, like a giant tent, but they only go camping like once a year. Um, and I like that example because it's like, actually, why not just like, why not just rent the tent? Why or rent the car, yeah. I think yeah, it's, it's like more the, do, it's more the, uh, it? like, <laughs> my dad is an example of that. Like, he, he has like three kayaks and it's just like, and, and a boat and it's just like you use it like once or mm. twice a year yeah. so like i think it's more the idea like yeah. if you buy that car it's like the idea of going camping mm-hmm. in your mind Definitely. you're not actually going camping no. but i totally agree like but you want to be you want to be it's like the, you want to be individual and you want to be prepared for when that happens you know yeah and it's like i mean i can understand it like it's really easy to fall into that trap where you're like i i can afford i have money why don't i just buy it and afford it but it's like do i need that like is it not just going to go to waste am i my living room and I but also just on the topic of community like uh i've had experience going to like car meetups and car car communities are huge here in perth they are we so, spend so much time driving yeah <laughs> so like buying that land rover you also feel a part of like the four-wheel drive community or mm. buying that car you feel a part of the car community so at the end of the day we're all we all that have that longing for community yeah definitely it's like identity yeah. you know like we all have that longing for identity um, and I think that's one of the things that, like, the way that our cities spread out robs us of. It's so hard to feel like you have an identity when everybody lives in a house, looks exactly the same, that there's no, like, real communal meeting points, you know. It's really hard to meet people like that. 
Um, and the su- the outer suburbs of Perth are a great example. Like they've been built, the outer suburbs have been built by people that live in the inner suburbs of Perth, and they're incredibly disadvantaged. There's way less public space. There's way less like regional sporting infrastructure, um, and it's just like it's those communities are like getting adverse health outcomes and mental health outcomes because of it, um, which is really sad. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting our values here in Perth. Like it's just it's just like another example. Where like n- the different parts of this system aren't talking. You know, it's like we need to hear more about what people want. Like property developers think that people just want to live in a house. Where it's like I reckon if I talk to a lot of people my age, they'd be like, "Oh, I would love to live in an apartment." Can you imagine like a apartment block just full of creative people? It's yeah, just like community like that'd be pretty sick. And I have been seeing that even in my suburb, which is like. I live in the suburb near Fremantle. Respect. There are like... Shout out for you. Yeah, apartment blocks. And there was an incentive to have like artists living in those mm. apartment blocks. And they... It's... I feel like... I don't know. It hasn't involved the entire community as much as I'd like to see. No. But there's... I think there was an incentive to have artists living there. And then they yeah. have their own little exhibition space. And yeah. they have... So I, I like the idea of it. I mean, think about... This is not a proper idea, but this is something I like to think about. Like, so if we're going to make a house just for your family, why don't you and your friends get together? And you all buy an apartment block and you live yep. in the same apartment yep. block. Yep. Imagine that. That'd be it's sick. you and your fucking like entire group of friends, and you all work somewhere else, but you come back at the end of the day and you're already living together. Yep. You have your own rooms and stuff, but like, you can go have dinner parties. Like, imagine that. Like, why not take this modular individual concept and expand it out to your wider like group? And then that way you guys share the benefits of like, you know, like not all paying for like maintenance of the place, yeah. you know, that you all share like a public space that actually gets used <laughs> Dude, and that's stuff. that's a crazy idea. It's a good idea. It's, not, it's, a, it's a rogue idea. But like you can actually do that, you know. Can you, so you can buy, I mean, do you, you think that would be possible to buy, like have a bunch of people buy an apartment block? Well, it would just be like forming a business, you know. Like you what would happen to about strata fees and that sort of thing? Like, I, don't that, I don't know enough about this, the strata fee stuff. Because, you know, if you ha- if you buy an apartment you still have to pay strata fees for the but i guess you'd all pay them together right because i wonder if you could like manage it so you don't have to pay strata strata is an interesting business model i don't know enough about strata sometimes it feels like a scam uh, yeah yeah that's why i'm like if everyone buys it how about you make it so you don't have to buy strata i mean strata has a purpose which is to pay someone to like cut the hedge and Whatever, but it's just like how much does that? But they get to control the people that are living there. Which yeah. seems ba- who owns Strata? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Murdoch probably. Not Murdoch, but it's probably like <laughs> Ray. Some it's probably like Ray WA or something. Who knows? But yeah, I just wonder if, uh, just as a thought experiment, if a good bunch of people bought an apartment block, would you still have to pay Strata, or could you just make so? Surely, if you own the place, um, uh, and but then you'd be able to pay somebody to look after it. I mean. You might not even have to. I mean, I'm sure there are regulations. Like, you need to have, um, you know, like, these sort of safety checks and stuff. But if you're organized enough as a group to, like, pay somebody to do that, I think it would be fine. I think that's the thing, being organized as a group, because... Not everybody In is. order to have that an, an apartment, it might... It would probably get messy quick, because it there's could. not, like... I mean, like anything, it's all about, like, the rules of engagement that you set at the start. So if you had somebody that, like, okay, we're going to write up a contract, everybody's in this much money... Um, we need to do the like you agree on like rules, so everybody needs to do this sort of stuff. Like you have to maintain this cleanliness, X, Y, Z. Yeah. If your communication is strong enough, where you can talk about all of that, um, and you can organize, I think it, would, it could definitely work. I mean, it all it really depends on 
how well you can communicate as a group and then like actually action that sort of stuff. But it's a hundred percent possible. It's just like owning a business, man. I think that'd be awesome. I'd be down. Like I would do that. <laughs> that's a bunch I, look, of I only said it because it's something I genuinely thought about. I was like, damn, what if I just? And then you just that'd be when you get older, it just turns into your retirement home, and you all pay for somebody to look after you guys together, based, based behavior. Hundred percent. I mean, thing, that's like, that's how it kind of works in the east. Like, like they 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 all kind of live. They just uh, say like even villages in Africa or mm. like Indonesia. Like, because they're so community-based and family-oriented, uh, like, your your parents look after you and then uh, when you're when they get old, you look after your parents and, like, your family, like, your your whole village is like your family and you just all look after each other, but you just, you don't have that here as much, which ties into the yeah. of you and community. I'm, I mean, that's, like, why we have so many, like, aged care homes here, you know. Um, there's not as much, like looking after the elderly as in some of those. I feel like it would be really depressing to be elderly here. and It would fucking suck, man. But you know why it's shit? Like, I was talking to a guy, I was in the ER last night because I cheese crashed my thumb. <laughs> Check it out, guys. Respect. It's nice and bloody. Could be but, uh, inspiration for a new art piece. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he was, like, he's 88 and he can't, he handed in his license last year. How do you get anywhere in Perth without a license? And, like, imagine how sad it is when it's just, like, all your friends are, like, 30 k's away. So they're all, like, an hour away. Like, it it would be it would be a maze. It would be it would suck, you know? And that's the thing. Like, Perth isn't, like, an, an actual functionally livable city. Like, the fact that every, you need a car to get everywhere is fucked. And it's, in like, it's inefficient. And it's expensive. And it's why it's... Yeah. It's, it's something that I dread. Because I would... Also... We do not have enough parking at train stations here in Perth at all. Like, it's always full, and it's just like that defeats the purpose of like driving and going. I mean, the whole point is that like the public transport system should be good enough where it supplements a car altogether. Oh, sorry, the public transport system needs to be good enough where it like supplements a car altogether. So the fact that you need to drive to a train, you most people yeah, need to drive exactly. to a train, is proof that like there's a failure in the system because the buses aren't good enough. You know, like, we need more trams and stuff here for, like, medium tier, like, medium size, um, yeah. like, trams. I mean, the north of Perth is better. I live, we live in South Perth, though. South Perth's shite. Yeah, just you even, know, like, I would never catch a bus. No. And even, like, the park, like... The buses parking. aren't frequent enough, you know. People don't trust it here. Um, yeah. I mean, it's... it's. There's a lot to, there's a lot of work to do in yeah. the city. Well, that, and that's the thing, like just need to have more of like a change of mindset about like we're not building a city for individuals to live we're building a city for everybody to live so we cater to everybody's needs not catering to like everybody to cater to their own needs you know we need to stop like building out in the middle of like eglinton and down south like i want to keep i want to keep the wild spaces wild man like i want to be able to show my kids yeah bush. true 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 i don't be like here's more suburbia that used to be like amazing bush like the the ecosystem that perth is built on is Swampland. You know, it's one of the most diverse sort of like important ecosystems in any sort of like um, environment. And it's one of the few ones in, in, in WA altogether. So just by living here, we've taken up, we've like destroyed the natural like ecology of Perth. And so we, we've done that. We can't reverse that. But we, we, knowing that we've done that should give us reason to actually make this use of this space better because it, it came at such a high cost. But because there's so much space here, 
we just feel like we can just continue to expand and expand and expand. And I think that is something that needs to, ch- I hope, will change. We'll see. I think global warming stuff is, the G20 and stuff, is, they're calling us out more. Because they're yep. like, you guys are fucking one of the highest polluters in the world. And you're yeah. not doing anything to change. Like, WA is meant to be part of the tr- the green transition for Southeast Asia and stuff. We're meant to help those countries transition. And right now we're being like, no, 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 we've done enough. We haven't done anything. What are your thoughts on uh, those activists who threw... Mm. Through pa- was paint? it pa- paint or pea soup or something? No, what did they throw on it? Oh, it's like tomato soup and pea soup and stuff. Yeah, they, so they, they, they usually like glue themselves on there the as well. Um, look... I mean, the biggest thing that I don't think everybody talks about is that, like, all those paintings are covered with glass. None of them get ruined. It's True. A are, they, are they the actual paintings, do you think? Uh, I'd assume yeah, they I wouldn't think, do I th- it. I think so, but it's like... They're oh, they're covered in glass? They're covered in glass. So they, oh, never okay. get, they never get ruined, and the people doing that, I'm pretty sure, know that. It's just a huge publicity thing, which is smart, because they need, they're trying to draw attention. They're being like, in this world where we get destroyed by global warming, the art gets destroyed too. You know, so just because it's... I, I, I go through... On like Diet Prada and all those like sites, and I read the comments, man. People are so fucking so depressingly ignorant. They're like, I agree with global warming, but like, how dare you do this to art? Like, art is separate yeah. from this. I'm like, they're not separate. They exist in the same universe, man. They're made of the same particles. So like, how can you view global warming separate to art? Like, you need to relate those two two experiences because the fate of both of those things are related. And you can't just like art is escapism. You know, you can't just rely on art to help you forget about all the fucked up shit we've done because we need to think about the fucked up shit so we change it and we get better. So I, if, if, the, if these individuals were going out of their way to ruin this art, I would be a little bit more hesitant to support it. But they haven't, as far as I know, they haven't actually like ruined anything yet. They haven't like destroyed any paintings or anything. They've just used that as like a tool... As an exposure tool to show so, how so it's really they it was sort of a facade because they pretend not pretend they were like bringing attention to their topic mm. by ruining the art and then yeah. the media was also jumping on that topic by saying hey these people are ruining the art but really nothing nothing got ruined yeah the 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 worst thing that happens is that like somebody like stains the glass or gets stuck to the glass or something. They none of them have broken any glass. It's cracked. Anybody that does that is just like, I mean, I just said it before. So art is like a byproduct of wealth. So most of the people that have the ability to enjoy art and make art are rich people, and rich people have benefited from the destruction of our planet. Think about that. But I don't see. I don't think attacking. The art world is necessary a productive way of getting people on your side to support your what you believe in because art is probably the best way to to change someone's opinion on something. I guess what I think they're trying to do is is that because people are looking at art like when you want to change something as a global society or even like in you know in any sort of community, you need enough people's awareness of it that everybody's focused on it, that's, that it has to change. Like you need enough critical mass, you know, like PR exposure sort of thing where everybody's thinking about it and arguing about it, that somebody goes finally, okay, like we have to change it or we'll get in trouble. And so by going at high value art paintings, it's like you're snapping people out. It's like, oh, you're spaced out over here looking at this. No, it can't. We need you looking at the problem at hand. 
So I think, I, th- I think it's basically art has this attention. We're going to hijack that attention for our mm-hmm. activism. Yeah. But like, I mean, I've, I, if it was a hunt, if it was, I don't think that they're, they're not damaging the art. So I don't, it's, it, there's no cost. People just get annoyed. Okay. I so fair play for, play, fair play to them. Cause it wasn't actually damaged. Yeah. Like if they were going out and destroying it, it would, I would definitely be more hesitant to support it. Cause I would be like, that's, that's kind of rough. Like you could do something, get exposure without having to destroy stuff like that. But I, I what are your thoughts on, um, cause I think it, a lot of that, uh, kind of that type of activism is happening in London it seems like mm. and uh, there's people like lying on the roads to saying stop oil yeah and then they're even stopping ambulances from driving through and stuff like that yeah so it's they're, they're taking it quite far and I mean oh, like I mean quite far as it could be argued as a stretch like how far is too far when you're going to try to like ensure the continued survival like I'm fully on board with global warming i think we're reaching a point now where like if we don't do something um our world is going to change for, like our environment's already changing like our seasons are changing you know like the world we live in now is not the world that our grandparents lived in it's different and it will never be the same again and it's all like we need to stop it now before it gets worse like i think people are going pretty far but they've been trying to change this for like de- decades man and it's like these oil, like oil and gas and stuff companies have done a lot of things to make it harder for people to actually get out and express themselves. They did this whole advertise. There's this, av- you know, the idea of like a carbon footprint. Mm. They used to run ads where it would be about, um, they would put the idea of like a carbon footprint onto the individual. Like, what are you doing to reduce your emissions? When they, when those companies running those ads, so they were, they were uh, um, like environmental awareness companies paid like funded by mining and petroleum companies because mining and petroleum companies knew that they were the largest emitters on the planet so that people reducing their individual emissions wouldn't actually change much of anything it was them that needed to change and so i think in that sort of context like understanding how much has been how much work has been put in to actually like silence the voices of people for a long like a long time now it's ri- like that's why people are going so far because they have to like, they've been paying politicians with, like, employment opportunities when they leave office so that they regulate and fund, like, petroleum companies differently. I, I, see, the, I see the benefit in activism and protesting as a short-term way to create awareness about a subject. Mm-hmm. However, I believe in, like, going to quote Gandhi, which is be the change you want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. I believe in, instead of shouting and raising a voice which as i said like works uh short term like be just be the ch- like build something create create a outlet that encourages conversation and like that can cultivate um like people's want to learn about the topic and be inspired to do something rather than like if I was to like shout it, I can like shout at you as loud as I can, mm. but sure it's going to get the topic through to you. But are you really going to believe in it? Are you really going to be behind what I'm trying to say? Or if I create a podcast and uh, maybe create a media channel and Instagram, a TikTok account and like have conversations around it, maybe like create some sort of trend that 
um, encompasses what I believe in. I feel like that's a better way mm. to make change than it's just like like active like activism like that just feels like shouting and then yeah like I heard you but I'm not going to do anything about it rather than mm. the long term strategy which is like actually helping someone believe in something. Yeah, I mean. I don't think activism by itself is ever a solution. Activism is a tool, is like a marketing tool used for like bigger change. So like when we talk, when I think about um, environmental, what the progress we're making to save the environment now, most of that is happening legally. So people are taking um, companies to, to court and they're being like, okay, you've been told by the, we've set carbon emissions, you're not actually doing it now. Yeah. And they've been able to quantify how much emissions are in the planet. And so they can p- put a percentage on how much a company has contributed to that. And then they can be like, okay, you owe this much money. And so that's the actual... Because politically, we could make no headway regulating these companies because politicians were benefiting from those... Like, they would get paid... Yeah. Like, when they leave office, they get jobs sort of thing. and like other, Especially you know, in Western Australia, I think. Oh, fuck, yeah. man. Australia's livid with it. But, um, you know... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's a whole another conversation. But so, most of the actual good change is happening now that people are able to take those companies to court, and there's sufficient evidence, and you know, I don't know, probably legal lingo, but like, there's sufficient reason to actually catch Ch- them in strife. Yeah, yeah, and so that's where we're seeing the proper progress. Okay, but activism is like a tool on top of that that keeps the issue front of mind. True. So I do agree that like activism, where you're just yelling mm-hmm. at somebody. That's never like how people change, right? Because I, I people see, get defensive. yeah, I see people in the city all the time protesting on like climate change and stuff. And I, the only thing I'm thinking is like, start a podcast, start a TikTok account. Like you'll reach more people and it'll be more effective than mm-hmm. shouting on the street. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, we we live in 2022. Everybody has phones. There's better ways of getting your message out there. So I just think it's an archaic way of. I mean, it depends on who you're talking to, because. The people that are in charge are probably more into archaic ways of thinking than TikTok. You know, we're talking about some like... But in terms of connecting with the general public, like we're all on social media, so like having a TikTok account where you're like voicing yeah, your opinion and you're like marketing it so people would actually connect with people better than like... I don't even know what... Like I drove past them and I don't know what they're talking about, but if they had a podcast and they're talking about it or they created content around it, I think it's way more effective strategy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. No, I do um, kind of agree with that. But it's it always is a question of like who you're trying to talk to and like the intent. So like, I think most people want change with climate change, but it's like the people in charge are the people that aren't changing. Also, here in Perth, everybody's getting money from drilling in the earth and damaging. Yeah, the I earth. mean you can you can mine and do it in a green way, but um, yeah, uh, it's a it's a complex sort of thing. So I think. We're talking about people, a lot of different people doing a lot of different things independently as one movement, you know. So climate activists are not organised. Like the climate activists here aren't doing the same thing in as the ones throwing paint, paint on stuff at the Louvre. Yeah. But it's because they're showing that it's an issue where they live, you know. And it's like when you have enough of those you are co- like individual events to show that there's collective need for change, the hope is that it will actually change. It, it creates a conversation. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But I think once you have created that conversation, once you have created the awareness, you need an actual long-term strategy yeah. behind it. You can't just keep like 
shouting and then shouting and shouting and not doing anything about it. Just like create that awareness, but also have like an actual strategy behind what you yeah. want to do. What I mean, like, I guess that's kind of why we're shouting still. Cause like we have been shouting and it, people are like, Oh yeah. Like we recognize we need to change, you know, like we're going to stop, you know, like labor is probably a good example because they're not really doing anything to reduce emissions and stuff. They're still subsidizing oil and gas companies. I mean, Woodside's about to drill and uh, do a deep yeah. sea mine out in Scarborough, man. Yeah. Like, that shit's fucked. Like, I, I understand that LNG is the transitionary fuel for whatever, you know, battery system we use next. But, um, you know, like you can understand why people are still screaming when they're seeing the same things that caused this yeah. to happen is still happening. Like, I think there yeah. are people that are trying to change it and that have plans, but it seems like this, those people aren't, able to do like we aren't able to action those plans yet which is why people are still yelling i think i think it's a good thing to argue about to discuss whether this is necessary whether this sort of activism is necessary but i think when we still live in a world where global warming is a very real problem and the solution is not in sight i think it's still valid you know i think the fact that it's still so backwards in australia is evidence of why people still need to be doing stuff like that because they need to remind you that like, hey, stop fucking enjoying your nice FIFO job, bro, because there's an impact here. And I'm reminding you of this impact because I've damaged, I've annoyed something that you love because that, yeah. I don't know. I think it's a balance, but I'm, I'm, I'm for it. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of carefrontation, which is, a, which is a word where it's like where you confront somebody because you want it to get better, you know? And it's just like you, it's just like, it's a bit abrasive sometimes, but it's like you need to have that conversation for things to change. It's grim. Come on, we've gone to global warming. I mean, yeah. it's going to happen eventually. I just see people say like Elon Musk, mm. who he literally created the market for electric vehicles. Mm. So now, now it's created an incentive for large companies like He's Ford, created- Porsche to create electric vehicles because he, he literally created that market he wasn't protest like obviously he's different he's like a genius but yeah he created an incentive for these big companies to create electric vehicles yeah i mean i think what, be, i'll be careful around the wording there because he didn't create the market i think he created the market demand so he kind of um stimulated yeah. the drive to do it and he like promoted it so much that people started buying it. and he made them affordable. He made those cars affordable. So he really like started to just drive up the demand for it and he's definitely kickstarted it. And he didn't even, he, his, he created an open patent so companies can literally see his Designs. model design and yeah. copy it. Yeah, I mean he's a really good, from what I understand and from what I hear, he's like an incredible engineer, man. And he, like that, it, like he's not, he's a good businessman. But he's a really, really good like engine, like design. I think like, you know, like actually creating um, product chains and like that whole method. He's really good at. I don't know. It's I don't want to get into Elon Musk too much because he <laughs> he's an interesting guy, and I think he's do he does some sneaky things sometimes, you know. But he's a funny guy. He's a good meme lord. Yeah, he posts some good he, memes on Twitter. I well, that's the one thing I will say about Elon is that like. He feels like a genuine person. Like, he's doing some good, but he's also very flawed in a lot of ways. Um, but, like, at the end of the day, I think he's using his intelligence for general good. Yeah. 
if not making a shit ton of money while doing it. <laughs> For yeah. sure. We'll see what he does with Twitter. Um, I've yeah talked about this on other podcasts, but I think, yeah, there's like, I think the way I see it, creativity ties into entrepreneurship mm. and the fact that Western Australia gets the majority of its income from drilling in the earth and mining and mm. it takes away from the incentive for people to create their own businesses and that's why we just rely so much on like the mining industry. 100% true. I definitely agree. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're touching on like a really big problem for our... Sorry, I'm going to stop scratching my beard. <laughs> Uh, a really big problem for our economy is that it's very single-minded in a sense. Yes. Like we're just based on um, mining. And that does have huge effects. Like people go in to FIFO, like 23 years old, you know, you got like, you start making a bunch of money, you end up, you come out the other side like 32, you've had two wives, you've got three kids and you have no skills. Yeah. You know, and then you just become like a leech. Not like a leech, but like... You don't have a choice but to go back into Viva. I've seen this time and time literally, again. Literally, literally, man. Like I've done... We're doing... I can't really talk about it too much, but we're doing work for some companies where we're kind of helping them fix towns because because of multiple things. But part of it is because like the global supply chains, so the mining supply chains, go into a town and they make it really expensive to live there because they're taking up all the houses and stuff, but like the money isn't going into the local economy, the yeah. people that have oh, already really? lived there. Well, because they're not like they've just taken, they've driven up the price of housing from them and then they've kicked people out of the town, but they're not actually spending money on the amenities there. The companies will pay for their food and stuff. Yeah. And oh, so those. It's just a bubble, yeah. Yeah, it's a bubble. And the people that live, the FIFO guys don't actually go out and interact with those communities. They fly and they fly out. So they do drugs when they're back in Perth. They get fucked up. They get terrible drug and get terribly depressed. And when they're up there, they feel like shit. And they don't go outside. They don't spend money. And so they become transient in both places. And so one of the things that does is it, it, you know, it creates the dual economies, which are just terrible. Um, and the other thing it does is that it actually has huge mental health side effects on people. Like, I think we're going to feel the repercussions of FIFO in WA for the rest of our lives. Yeah. I think there are so many people I know that have just gone up there and they're going to come out the other side of fucking vegetable, man. And it sucks. Because it's just... This is what I don't know. It, it's a, I don't know if it's, pr- it's probably connected, which is like university. They don't teach you to think for you, or even school and university. They don't think, teach you to think for yourself. You're taught to work for somebody else, which is like the creative mind is a mind that creates its own ideas and things for itself. And when you're in school and university, they yeah basically teaching you to work. You have to get this degree so you can work for somebody else, and even with FIFO, that's sort of what it's about. Like you, you, you don't have to. You're totally working for somebody else. You're flying out, and it. Yeah, you're getting money, but you're like you, you're losing your sense of self and your identity. It's like that time that you're out there, you could have been using that to figure out yourself and create your own business. Um, and what I see with people in FIFO is like, yeah, they're attracted to that money, and they f- fly out there. Maybe they're 20, they start, they feel like they go at 10 years, they're getting money. They usually spend it, they don't spend it wisely at all by like it, yeah. Land Rovers. They spend it on boats, getting um, a good jet ski. 
Don't forget about cocaine. Yeah. Coke and jet skis and tattoos. Um, I respect tattoos. What, what's it called? Um, Red Rich Dad, Rich Dad poured out and he's like, on liabilities. They spend on liabilities. Mm. Not, so stuff not, that not, doesn't, they not, don't invest it. Not revenue generating. Yeah, assets. it's not ge- revenue generating. And then, although they're making more money, they're just spending as much. So, yeah, they're not investing. It. And then they get to 30 and they're like, oh, this was shit. So you spent like 10 years of your life. Like, you know, we're kind of like, like if you're here, you're, you're figuring things out for yourself. You're learning mm. things. But when you're there, you're just literally, your mind is working for another company. So you yeah. get to 30 and you're like, I want to I want to start my own business and then they like try to start that business but they they can't really because their their time well, they don't was have the spent skills. yeah in FIFO yeah um uh, it's really sad man I mean like oh well, I wish I could talk about it but there's a there's a job I'm working for in a small town in, in WA where we're kind of dealing with just that where it's like um the people in the town uh the like tradesmen. Um, there are no trades businesses there that serve as households because anybody that has those skills just gets sucked up into the mining supply chain where they can just make heaps more money, you know. And then when people do come out and try to make money, like trying to start their own trades businesses, you know, like start an electrician business or something, it's really – that business model is really hard. You know, there's like a lot of costs involved, like, um, you know, like owning equipment and getting licenses and stuff. And then so what happens is they usually go into debt and then in the first, they don't actually know how to do their taxes and stuff. Um, and so in the first year, like they spend all their money that they make. And then when tax time comes, they, they, they owe like 25 grand or something. Yeah. And then the only way they can pay that off is by going back into FIFO. Yeah. It happens all the time, man. And it's like if they'd actually just, if they had not done FIFO and they, you know, started in a trade or something or like try to get entrepreneurial skills and build that up over time, then they would actually be far, it would strengthen our economy and they would have more skill sets and they would be able to generate more income you know and generate yeah. it, like economic opportunities and stuff but because if, if you look at china south korea japan um yeah they they created you know they create mobile phones technology computers <laughs> like oh. they they have a creator economy they if have, I've ever they seen have one. skilled labor it's and crazy sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but like closing, yeah australians australians like to think that we're like we are really smart but like a lot of people here do f- really simple jobs man and like there's like a, not a lot of like um specialized areas of expertise here you know like you know how in taiwan they make um like computer chips yeah. And there's what they're like one of the main places in the world that does it. Like they've specialized like the way that they've like have like a lot of university courses that help generate like that, you know, that special kind of like skill set. Whereas here, it's kind of like we just have land. We're just extremely lucky to have these mineral resources which Yeah, no, we're not doing anything to like actually like create uh, like yeah. specialized industries here. You know, I I I hundred percent agree. Imagine if we have the resources, but also we can build things with those resources. Like, oh. I'm pretty sure um, we used to, like Holden was an Australian-owned company. I think we used to make cars We used to here. make great, yeah, they used to be good cars. We don't do it anymore because it got too expensive or some shit. Like, there's, I mean, I don't like to talk about it because it just makes me so sad. But it's like, we're just, the way that... We're just very lucky to have these mineral resources. Yeah, we're not, we're doing, not, we're we're just not selling, making the most of it. We're Imagine just giving into another 
literally we're company just to make and yeah, we're giving all the resources to China for them to go to war. We're with just us. lucky. That's what we are. Yeah, and it, there's nothing wrong with being lucky. It's just like I wish we were doing more to like use that luck to build something amazing, and we're not. We're what, just what kind were of you saying before about um, having less uh, creates creativity or something like this? Scarcity breeds creativity. Yeah. So it's like when there is like so Singapore's a good example. Like they're outside when you know the Allies left. Like Brit, I think the UK, Britain left, like pulled out of Singapore. Their economy collapsed because they didn't have like any of the businesses there anymore. Yeah, but they pivoted, so they were like, okay, we need to rebuild our economy, and so they, their government actually went, did a lot of things to like create employment opportunities and upskill their workforce. The first desalination plant was in Singapore. Same with the first indoor farm, and so they like basically turned themselves into this trading hub. For all of like Southeast Asia, they're the connector between like the West and Southeast Asia and stuff. And they've not done that because of luck. They've done that because they went out and we're gonna be like, damn, I wish I wish we built something with it, or I wish we use this to like fuel like this sort of industry or make this sort of manufacturing capability. It's it's grim, and I think that's partially because um, the mindset of older Australians, you know who have had a majority in opinion for a long time. Um, and I think they've kind of stopped the natural flow of change that we've needed. So I'm hoping we get back to it one day. But it's going to be hard. And like mineral resources are finite. So like what would happen if Perth just ran out of mineral resources? Like where? I don't know. I mean, I'm not an expert on it. Like everything I've been I saying. I guess we would be forced to become some sort of creative economy. And uh, I mean, like we've exports. got... I mean, we've we've got, got we, we export um, education... And uh, agriculture. agriculture, yeah. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. Imagine, so education is a, is a tool that people can use to um, gain like-minded perspectives. And Australia is in the amazing place where we have uh, Western ideas and education facilities in close proximity to a lot of developing countries. Imagine if we opened up and it made it way easier and cheaper for students from other countries to come here and study and learn. It would be amazing. Like, it would change... It, not only would it bring us closer together with those countries, it would change the way that those countries work, and it would just it would increase globalisation so quickly. But it's just like, Australia, white Australians have made it incredibly hard to get into this country. It is so hard to apply for a visa. So sad. And like yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how hard it is for international people. It's ridiculous. Bro, we, the, considering how close we are to Indonesia, there are not a lot of Indonesian restaurants here. It's fucking racism. It's shit, you know? And they're like, it, a lot of, there are a lot of examples of that. I, I bring up Indo- Indonesia because I speak a little bit Bahasa. Yeah. And like, when I went over there, it was became apparent to me like how much Australia has done to distance ourselves from a lot of those cultures. And, and if just, we just open yeah, ourselves up to it, yeah. it'd be sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think just uh, it kind of relates to sculptures because there is an exhibition at um, the Art Gallery of West Australia, which is Yeah, Nia Asia. Yeah, Asia. yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's interesting. The yoke. I, I Shout out to the Yok. Yok. Because um, so at that exhibition, it's a couple. Um, do you know their names? It's so uh, one of them, the girl is the Yok. Um, I forget the other guy's name. I think there are a couple. Um, Worth checking. They're pretty cool. I think they were Perth 
or the guy might have been a Perth-based artist originally, and then they moved to Indonesia. Um, but it was just interesting reading up about their. I didn't actually read the event by exhibition because it was to do with cultural synchronicities, which is the blending of. Um, I didn't actually read cultures. It. Yeah, which is ties which is, into what you. It is exactly saying. tying you into what you I go. want. So. Add us in here, we can <laughs> check it out. Mm. One second, guys. It looks really cool, though. Their sculptures are sick. As somebody that likes to think they make okay sculptures sometimes, their work is nice. It's beautifully chaotic, um, but quite complex. Uh, and it is... It's really cool. Yeah, this is the exhibition. Yenaija is an exhibition presenting cultural artifacts from the remote island of Yenaija, thanks to the fantastic escapades of Yok and Shuryo. Fueled by their adventurous spirits, this artist couple have travelled extensively, extensively shaping their worldview through diverse cultural experiences and personal encounters, leaving their creative mark from New York to New Delhi and many places in between. Yok and Shuryo were brought to Yenaija while seeking escape from the busy cities of the world. Yok and Shuryo chanced upon the island and quickly embraced the worldview of its locals, which is simultaneously animated and laid back while being layered with meaning, a place where visitors can escape their real-world responsibilities. Yenaija is both fantastic and familiar, rich in emblems that resonate with both Yok and Shuryo. They were entrusted by the island's cultural custodians to share some never-before-shown artefacts for West Australians to experience. <laughs> Such good <coughs> world-building. So, yeah, they created this world um, and then created these kind of sculptures to, yeah. to create. But I'm trying to find... I, I, I'm, I'm curious to know what the Yok... Um, yeah, what their... Um, backgrounds are because i had a suspicion that um one of them was from indonesia but i actually think that might not be true so that's really cool so I'm, I'm just checking out the agda the agua sorry page because i'm trying to find i think it's cultural synchronicities but basically what basically what they've done is they have blended it it is a word for blending two different cultures i think it's cultural synchronicities yeah no, um, i think that's a word I'm but it's interesting what you were saying about um you know how hard it is for people from different countries to live in you were saying there's a lack of indonesian restaurants and uh, that's like a proxy like that's something that i can uh, that a um, uh, metric that i'm using to quantify the disparities in our cultural yep. synchronicity yep. like the fact that there are so few means that there are very few indonesian people actually living here yep. which means which doesn't make any sense considering our proximity which means that you and know obviously I, it's hard I to make i actually it. think if and i know bali is 
sort of a separate like it's it's it might. has a higher difference in cult it has more cultural differences from the rest of Indonesia because yeah. of its uh Hindu religion there. Mm. Um but if you go to Bali it's very interesting how they've integrated Australian culture. Mm. Like if you look at the things they're selling, they're selling like funny Centrelink shirts. There's like guy uh, there's this guy on TikTok who's mm. like has this Australian slang that he puts on to sell things, like he's saying like, oh yeah, can't da 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 and they sell like, you know, those uh stickers with like profanities or mm. they sell like items that Australians find humorous because like in our mm. culture we're all about like the jokes and the yeah. yarns and like the profanities and Yeah. I mean so So like they've they've integrated our culture into theirs. Well but we remember before when we were talking about places that embrace multiculturalism? Yeah. Bali in the context of wider Indonesia is one of those places. Sure. So that's like, I mean, Bali, like, there's a lot of uh, a heavy Muslim influence in Indonesia. You don't get really any of that in Bali. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's, a, it's a Hindu, it's a Hindu island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, so there are a lot of, a lot of different, um, like, uh, cultures in Indonesia. There's yeah. like a lot of local dialects. Um, it's a really diverse place and like a lot of different levels. And Indonesian is a language that they've used to like um, bring people together. But even with that, like I think Bali is like a tourist, it's, it's like a tourist hub for not just Australians, but also like, you know, like Singaporeans. Yeah, it's, it's an international community, especially yeah, I'm going to say Changu is mm. one of the places that I saw had like such a large international community. So many people from like Sweden, different parts of Europe. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely an international hub. Like businesses from different parts of the world have like their own, uh, like one of the gyms there was like internationally mm. owned bars and you have oh, like investors, international investors. And uh, I just feel like, because a lot of people from Perth, like Perth is probably the number one tourist in Bali because we're so close. Maybe. Um, well, definitely a large amount. I don't know if we're the only ones. Perth is a small community. No, it's, it's, it's a inter- it is international, but I'd say we travel there more than any other place just because of the proximity. Yeah. Um, I mean, but even like... I'm assuming. Even other Indonesians travel to Bali. So like when I lived, when I was in Jakarta for a bit. Or Yeah, that's actually true. Yeah. There, yeah. Were, there were like uh, some Malaysian tourists and yeah, like that's, Yeah. yeah and fair enough. Yeah. So it, it like there's a lot of different sorts of people that go there because they offer like an escape. I mean, there were, there were um, like artist communities there, like 20, pre like drug banning, like 20, 30, 30 years ago that like kind of moved there and set up communities and they just, you know, like raved and stuff a lot. Like... Indonesia, Bali has a really... It's unique. Uh, it has a crazy history, man. I mean, I would love to... The things I would do to be like 30 years old living on an Australian <laughs> salary living in like Bali. Oh my God, yeah. It's like... It's, it hits. I mean, um, the people are lovely. I and love I love Indonesians, man. They're yeah, and it, this, yeah, uh, Indonesians for me as well, it's like... It's one of my favourite cultures just because of how welcoming, friendly and... Mm. And they do share a lot of values we have, like, as people in Perth, like, our relaxed lifestyle, our love for, like, jerking around and humour. Like, we're quite easygoing, I mm. guess, and it just, yeah. like, it I does mean, translate like, over there. There are definitely, I will say, so there are uh, definitely different different sorts of communities in Indonesia. So, like, there's a lot of censorship in Indonesia. Like, people go to jail for posting stuff on Twitter. Oh, yeah. But, but I, like, think, I think that's, it's, yeah. that's more like the Muslim uh, the Muslim community there, so yeah, for sure, there are definitely more 
uh, strict communities there, but they're also like a lot. There is a lot more of like relaxed, sort of upbeat, joyful. I guess it's 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 the difference between Bali and the rest of Indonesia. Yeah, but I mean, it, I I I think my take on Indonesian people generally is that they are quite a um, an intelligent people because there are so many different cultures in there, um, so many like sub dialects and stuff that to reach a point where you can collectively call yourself a country called Indonesia takes a, like a, a high level of communication and a high level of understanding. Um, and they're going to be one of the biggest economies in the world um, eventually, like 2030, 2050, I think. Um, and their, their tech uptake has been huge. Yeah, 100%. Like super apps are huge over there. So like you can get like street vendors and stuff that have like, you know, like Gojek and Grab, like the micro yeah. transaction apps and stuff on their phones. Like that stuff's really cool. Yeah. And they've taken that stuff up way quicker than Australians have. Yeah, um, even they, ha- they hosted... Uh, the, the, the Meta Facebook Creators event in Bali, which was yeah. interesting. And They're very tech. They are, do have a tech-oriented side to them. They even had... Uh, their, their tech uptake is bigger than Australia yeah. in a lot of ways. They're like, there are a lot more um, banks over there that are purely all digital and don't have any like physical banks because, like, because it's harder for them to make infrastructure, right? So the benefits of them having um, more information and stuff stored and systems stored on their phone has actually helped to increase the scale of their economy quite quickly, I think. That's a very, like, unre- like not a highly researched take. But What's that quote again you, you keep giving me about having less... Scarcity breeds creativity. It's true. Scarcity. Um, yeah, and they're a good example. Like, they're making, creativity. Yep. they're making a lot out of the things that they have, about the few things that they have. Um it's one of the reasons why they're doing more with less in term in terms of like the tech industry in general. I'm I'm seeing. Oh, that. like when I went over there, it was like 2018. Um, they just like had apps that would it would be like Uber mixed with like, um, like a micro so like a BPay sort of like micro transactions app mixed with like new sort of stuff. Um, so they had this app that kind of like you could have it and it could kind of do everything for you. Um, like so street vendors who had just got a phone could use it to like actually do, you know, like payments yeah. on their phone, you know, which helps them like actually, they don't have to carry money around with them, you know? And like, I think the assumption would be that the uptake of that stuff would be slow because they are, are seen as less developed, but that's actually not true. You know, they're like, they're quite, um, their ability to recognize the opportunity and take it up was, was quite quick. But I mean, there are also like, um, completely tech-free, isolated communities in Indonesia as well. Um, it, there's always a spectrum in a large group of people of like every single response. But I think generally, uh, I, the entrepreneurial spirit of Indonesians is, is yeah. really cool, and even the work work ethic there. Like the t- the time it takes to build a house or a like hotel, it's crazy how fast it is to build something there. Whether in here, it's like so slow. Yeah, I mean, you got more time over there to do that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, more people, sorry, not more time. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different points. There are a lot of different factors that influence that, like cheaper labor and stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I think I would love to see, regardless of all that. I I do think that Australians need to like pay more attention to Indonesians and like Philippine people from the Philippines and Vietnam and mm. Thailand. Is like they're not just countries that we can go to to travel like those are places that you can have business relations with yeah. those people you know you, those, are, those are like countries that are intelligent and of like you know developed and are worth 
engaging with more and they might i mean there are unreliability like i think there are metrics where they measure like how difficult it is to do business in a country and so like indonesia actually is quite corrupt um oh really yeah yeah but like i mean like you need to start engaging it's getting better um but like you need to actually start engaging with those more and like being patient with that for it to get better i mean it's corrupt because it's hard like it's easier for them to make money by doing dodgy side deals I, look, actually, like I think my point would be that like Australia is corrupt as well. They're just better at hiding it here. And we were talking about it before, like politicians yeah. will. Ah, uh, um, yeah, it's just it's like, uh, yeah, you were saying, um, getting rehired or well, yeah, so like and giving positions to their friends. I think it's not even that, just yeah. positions to friends. It would be like Rio or like Optus or Telstra or something. Would be like, okay, if you help us push this, you know this this regulation or something or don't regulate us this way so we can make more money oh, okay. then like when you retire we'll give you like a director's position oh, with like okay. with like 300 you know sort of case or thing it's like when jo- john Ballar- barillaro mm. tried to like it's people's in- values yeah well it, it's like they're in, like they realize that like if they go in there and they let these businesses do what they want that they will recognize that and then they will come out the other side um with a job that will pay them a lot of money um, and I, I'm not a good person. If you follow guys like Kangaroo Court on YouTube, he's like a he's an Australian reporter that covers this sort of corruption a lot. He's like 50 something. He's, yeah. a, he's a weapon. Oh, that's good. Um, See, I, there's a lot of cases like I this. think that type of activism is better because he's created that's education a platform yeah. around um, documenting corruption and that sort of thing, and then putting it out there. That's like a strategic way of creating change. Yeah, because you're educating people. So he's giving yeah. people information. He's not it's value valuable, yeah. Yeah, well, it's like once you know something, it changes your worldview and then you can act on it. So he's giving people information so that they can use to, like, go on and do something else with it, you know. Like, that is quite important. I guess, like, when if bringing it back to that activism conversation, like, they're not educating us anymore um, about, like, what we need to do, which is a detriment, but they might also just not have that sort of power. Yeah. Um, I wanted to get on the topic of NFTs because I think we might have differing views on it. Yeah. Um, but obviously, the way the internet's going, we're heading into Web3, um, which is more augmented reality and virtual reality oriented. Um, we've had the introduction of NFTs in the mainstream mm. media space um, in the last couple of years. Um, which ties into crypto and that sort of thing. And NFTs obviously also ties into the art market and art in general. Um, do you think it's going to be a positive space for artists? Do you think it's like, yeah, what's your whole perspective on NFTs um, from an art perspective? Um, I mean, so I would like talk about uh, crypto and NFTs in like two different ways. So there's like, we can talk about aspirationally what the technology could do. Um, and like the opportunities it would create. And then we can talk about like the realities of it right now. And so I think um, the ability for crypto to like um, uh, make crypto to make like financial transactions more transparent and, um, you know, like that sort of like, you know, the blockchain or that blockchain technology stuff is uh, if, if all our systems are working together and it's regulated reasonably, um, then it, it's a good thing. And I think there's a lot of stuff... Regulated by the government? Well... Or who would regulate it? The, yeah, the government. 
I mean, like people are anti-government, but it's like, yeah. But if like the the power of crypto is that you can see it where everybody's transactions are going, True. right? So it's like, how how I, bad can every single crypto scam has gone called gone exposed because crypto works? Yeah, because you can see the transaction chains and you can just call them out. Why would yeah. you not want a government? Yeah, if a government can regulate it, then we can call out the government. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think you are seeing. Um, Governments of different countries create their own cryptocurrency now, and uh, which is going to be a more stable currency. And I think yeah. I do see the positives of that because there is a lot of yeah. crypto scams so, and so pump and dump schemes. So I think uh, like a good thing to compare crypto to is like the dot com boom in like the early two thousands. So um, back when the internet first came about, everybody's like, "This is going to be worth like." You know, like millions of dollars. You need. You want to get your domains now. Like you, we're going to make money from it now. And everybody did. There was a huge rush. All the prices went up heaps. And then um, eventually, like nothing happened. Like people bought it. They spent heaps of money, and then nothing immediately happened um, because the the expectation was there. So the expectation drove prices up. Um, but then there was actually no income generation or activity in that space until it crashed. Um, and I think a similar things happened with crypto now, where it's like. The technology is kind of around now, and people are like, "Oh, we can do the, all this shit with it." And it's like, "Yeah, oh, we actually can do all this shit with it." But like, it's not going to happen right now. It's going to happen in like ten or fifteen years when, like, you know, like there are more technology. Like, not everybody is tech literate right now. You know, yeah. like my parents yeah. wouldn't be on it. Yeah, it's going to be us that start True. using it. You know, yeah. so like, there's a lot of slow things that sl- will slowly change that will allow it to l- reach its full potential. Um, but gonna take a while and also like we've just gone through the waves of like crypto scams you know so i think a lot of people don't trust it so they're gonna need time to like build up confidence again and then come back to it so you do see the value in crypto and nfts but in like a longer time frame when more people are aware of it it's kind of tied into more um sort of more like everyday systems that everyone's uses because like it's I mean, more stable yeah, yeah like we've just had the what the, like the ftx crash or whatever so it's like the big like the stakeholders that were like sh- creating the well, showing the reflective value of the crypto markets were not really tied to anything real and so they eventually you know they would just invest in other fake stuff and then they crashed um you need like wealth money is has real value tied to it you know, like banks buy gold, like things like that. Um, and crypto was n- kind of lacking that. Like some of them bought cash reserves and stuff, but it didn't really pan out, I don't think. This is not my area of expertise, to be fair. Um, but you need that, like, th- there needs to be a more sturdy backing so that what just happened in crypto wouldn't happen again. Um, and I think it will happen eventually. But, like, it just takes time. And this will take a long time. It's a big change, you know. You're asking governments to kind of give up a little bit of power with crypto. And then there's the whole, like, you know, inflation sort of arguments of it. Um, so um, how do you feel about NFTs as an art form? As an art form? I mean, I think um, as, a, as an art form for generating income for an artist, I think they're good. So... You know, being able to like make something and then make an NFT and then people can use it, but they're paying you royalties and stuff like that. Um, that system is really cool, and I think that in in a in a ever digitizing future, 
the ability to make your art, make money from your art just being used a lot is really cool. Um, but, but what I think I've seen with NFTs is that NFTs have been something used by crypto scammers to like incentivize people to spend money in crypto. Yeah. Um, and to like create like another fake sense of value and then it just was bullshit. You know, yeah. like fucking the amount of Jack Pool, like fucking NFT projects I saw. Fuck that cunt. Fucking Actually, like, yeah, I totally agree. I think NFTs as an idea is amazing yeah. for artists. Mm-hmm. 100% agree. But then you just have these um, money hungry people who just use it as a monetary scheme rather than yeah art. So then again, it's not, it becomes something that's not going to benefit. Yeah. It's not benefiting artists who should be getting the benefit out of it. Just becomes people who are like, how can we make the most money possible? Let's cr- just create a thousand of these generated apes mm. that don't mean <laughs> anything. I mean, the board ape stuff is crazy. I mean, you, <sighs> you see the, because um, that's made by like two 4chan guys that made like a whole, it's like a racist mockery really yeah i'll send you a video later it's like they've it's like a giant art project because it like it references a whole bunch of like ss and like vietnam war like white supremacy shit so that's why people pay because they've like they create all these games and all these riddles for people to break down so they could like hunt down that i'll send you the video if people knew about that that would just devalue but some people that some people did know about it and those are the people, a lot of those were the initial investors that were like, if you give us this money, we're going to spend it so we make these like elaborate sort of like cryptic sort of like right-wing sort of game sort of things. It's really interesting. Oh, really? It's really interesting. I don't know how into 4chan culture you are, but it is very reflective of that sort of like in, like in, very incredibly smart but very jaded um, internet community. Um, and it it's nuts, especially because they just got so many rappers to like rep their shit and stuff, which I think is, I think that was uh, it's them kind of making fun of them. It's really interesting. Yeah. Um, but that yeah, I don't know the the NFT space will be good again, but like there's not a lot in. I think in the Web three scenario, it's like okay, y- you've made this NFT, and now somebody's showing it in their like fake metaverse house, yeah. you know, or they're using it in this game where they're playing it. And so those are like a lot of ways where it's getting used that you would make small amounts of income from it. Whereas like right now, it functions more as like a collector's item. Where it's like, oh, like you have this number one of this like collection. And you actually don't get like a lot of value from that. I mean, there was like Seth Rogue, Seth Myers was going to make like a Bored Ape like TV show or something for a little bit because he owned a monkey and then he could, he could use the rights from that to make a show with the character. And then somebody stole it from him and he couldn't make the show. <laughs> like it's... We're still waiting for things to change so that you can actually make as much value from them as yeah. was promised. I think in the short term, I agree that NFTs are a bit fickle at the moment. It's And it's generally not real artists that are profiting from it. But I do think long term, real artists who utilize the NFT space will... Yeah, and a lot of value. Out I, of I mean, there are there are artists gaining value, but again, I think it is a lot of companies just creating like a thousand yeah apes, and it's not really art. I wouldn't call it art. I'd just call it a scheme. Yeah, no, I think so too. I think I am confident. Well, I'm hopeful. Let's say I'm hopeful that it will turn into something one day. I think 
the just you need the surrounding infrastructure to support that, and we don't have that yet. But we will. I, I'm I'm confident that we can get there. Um, yeah, it, it was an interesting space for a while. Uh, it, it it was a very interesting case study on how easily people got swept up in that. There there was, yeah, there, there was that hype. People bought into it. People lost lots of money. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think we're just. I think the same thing happened with the metaverse. I don't think we're actually in a place where the metaverse can. I think it, I think it will come. Yeah, but, but I think it's, it's like it's come. The hype has come too soon. Yeah, you know, like yeah. we don't have. Not everybody has like a, you know, like a VR set up in their room yet. It's too expensive. Yeah, yeah. you know, and the technology isn't perfect yet. Like it make it makes people nauseous and stuff. Yeah, you know, so like it, I think Web three will happen. But it's like one of the things where it's like we've discovered the idea and then we have to wait for the technology to catch yeah, up. Yeah, which is probably going to be in like 10 years. Yeah, and then we have to wait for like our actual like patterns and like how we interact, how people interact with the technology to, you know, to be fully there. For sure. You know, because like, I mean, your, your our parents would have used the internet stuff when they were like kind of young, but they're not as tech savvy as us. Yeah. Who have like, we were born in the true internet. I think it's almost like YouTube with like vlogging and videoing yourself. Like back in the day, only like very few people were, videoing and documenting their life but now with the introduction of like tiktok and stuff it's like quite common for the everyday person on tiktok to like video their life and yeah 100%. document it um atlee thank you so much for coming on um it was good Talked about really really stuff. good chat um and i think yeah one of the quotes which is scarcity breeds creativity that's that's an amazing quote and i think it, it ties into a lot of the things we talked about mm. Um, so yeah, it was interesting. Thank you for having chat. me, man. It was a good chat. We talked about a lot of things. It was cool. We went some places I did not think we were going to go to. Yeah, 100%. I'm sorry for talking about global warming for so much. No, no, and for urban sprawl. It's my no, I, two I of like my those topics. Rants. I like talking about those topics. Yeah, that's cool. Thank you very much, man. Um, where can people find your stuff and follow? follow um, you? so they can find my art on my Instagram. So at Lee Edgar on Instagram. But if I, what I will plug is that we have, I have my the market event so the plastic jungle art market's happening in Fremantle on December the 4th mm-hmm. I don't know when this is coming out but probably yeah it'll come out probably now cool so. Um, yeah so it so the art market will be happening at the naval store on December 4th um, which is a Sunday from like mm-hmm. 9 to 3 um, we'll be having like food trucks like some DJs there um, creative people to meet yeah come, yeah come be so a part like, of the community yeah so come around buy some art there'll be some work exhibiting you can come just like chill sit down um, I'll be just there. Come hang out. Yeah, it'll if be you, good. If you don't know anyone, you can chat to me or Ali will be there as well. Yeah. Just I love talking to randoms. Yeah. Just come up, say some random shit. If you speak to me in gibberish, you come up and say, <laughs> you're instantly my friend. 100%. That's, yeah. Thank you very much. Cool.